You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since everybody and welcome to the ggtmc we are back we are on fire we are deep fried southern style um uh, scrapple fried uh was what is 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 pa considered midwest mid-east uh no it's northeast northeast well mid-atlantic northeast yeah Yeah, you guys are kind of like me you kind of have that that kind of state combo where half the state is considered Almost uh, redneck, and then half the state is considered kind of right. Yeah, those yeah, Pit- yeah. Those Pittsburgh folks are considered a little, uh, little, little red on that neck. And then we got the- <laughs> well, yeah. They, well, they, they like they like to say that uh, there's uh, Pittsburgh in the west, Philly in the east, and Alabama in the middle. That's so. right. That's right. And then that guy that lives in that province up there, yeah, <laughs> which is a totally different thing. <laughs> Guess which part I am. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the province going. Makes it sound more uh, more important than uh, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where they get provincial from, right? Yeah, yes. that's right. But that is it. Sammy Todd, Will, we are here. And we are going to talk some movies this week. We got Siri Noir from 1979. I believe that's how you say I hope I'm saying the name right. Siri yep. Noir. Yeah, there you from go. 1979. Uh, I didn't write the director's name down. What is wrong with me? Alan, Alan Cornell. There we go. Uh, that's rare that I don't write the director's name down. It's like one of the first things I write down <laughs> outside of the <Yeah>. title. <laughs> and uh, I did write the director name down for this one, uh, Hiding Out from 1987, directed by Bob Giraldi, probably most notoriously known for music videos, including the Beat It video. So, uh, huh. And that sculpted Lionel Richie head. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, I might know what to play during the uh, break into Hiding Out. Yeah. Well, there's some fun music in Hiding Out there. I read in the Hiding Out trivia that the skating rink is still pretty much untouched from the filming of this movie. I think the, GG, nice. the GGTMC might need to make a, a movie trip there or something. Very <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we are here. We're going to talk some movies for you this week. We hope everybody's having a good week. 
Um, let's get into it. Todd, what have you been watching? Um, some movies, mm. you know. Uh, I did a rewatch of Joker. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, <laughs> watched a little movie from Mr. Corey Yoon, uh, 1993's Women on the Run. I'm assuming uh, that this thing is uh, Cat 3, because, man, it's rough all over. Uh, it is mean as shit. Uh, it's skanky as all hell. Mm. Uh, there's lots of naked fighting. and uh, sounds, like lots past, of, sounds like past relationships I've had. I was going to say it sounds like <laughs> Easter at my house, but... Um, uh there's uh, yeah that, resurrec- just, there's, that resurrection of christ yeah right uh there's uh there's a lot of uh nasty raping going on oh yeah um yeah but at the same time in a cat three film i know right who'd have thunk it um but uh the action itself is okay uh there's a lot of melodrama in this thing and it really kind of just slogs along. Um, there's the the one lady in this Tamara Gu, G O U, Go Gao. I'm not sure uh, how to pronounce it, but either way, she's quite something. I think I'd go Gao on that. Maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna say Gao. Uh, all things being equal, Gu's a lot more fun and, to say though. It is, especially especially in this. But uh, yeah, exactly. Especially in this uh, this particular context. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, she was uh, she was something, and I'm really kind of surprised that I, I, you know, she never really kind of caught on, or at least not that I'm aware of. Um, if she did, uh, she doesn't really seem to have much of a filmography, and she just kind of came and went. Uh, but either way, uh, this movie was kind of eh, it's okay, um, not too not too bad. Uh, moved on from that to a little thing called Mad Foxes. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> talk about a Cat 3 movie uh, yeah. made in, uh, what, Spain uh, and or Switzerland? I'm not sure. Um, well, it was made by a Spanish and or, and or heaven. Yeah. And or heaven. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so this was, uh, was kind of insane um, yeah. in a lot of ways, seeing as how... Uh, there's not a single character in this that you actually want to follow for 80 minutes. Um, it was weird that they put the uh, the Kung Fu versus Bikers rumble up front when you would think that that would be like something at the end, uh, especially considering what happens during that rumble. Um, isn't that, isn't one, the one biker nude and he's just kicking a lot? Well, that's later. That's a little later on. Uh, you got to save some things up, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I mean this thing. I, the, the main character is such a fucking dirtbag. Uh, it's not even funny. Um, and you really just kind of almost want him to to have his life ruined by these uh, these hell's angels or Nazi bikers or whatever the hell you want to call them. Um, and I was really kind of surprised. I mean, I wasn't expecting. Listen, I wasn't expecting you know high art or even really great filmmaking. Um, but I was kind of surprised by how much padding is in, in, is in this thing for an 80 minute movie. Uh, there's a good 40 minutes of it. That's just padded the fuck out. Uh, and a lot of it almost is, um, pretty much softcore porn. Uh, so, you know, for better, for worse. Yeah. Um, but I, I liked it overall. I mean, you know, it's not one of these, uh, it's not, uh, 
it's not one of the greatest things I've ever seen, but it's certainly, it is a unique experience. Uh, I'll put it that way. Um, so I'm glad that I, I caught it and I would watch it again easily. Uh, it's it certainly, uh, is something that you could, uh, you could put on in the background there, uh, or even show to people just to say, see, this is what Spain was doing at one point in time. Um, so Incredible. I did that. Yeah. I uh, did a rewatch of Jack Hill's Switchblade Sisters. Um, and uh, this is uh, still one of, I think, if I'm thinking correctly, this is probably my favorite uh, Jack Hill movie. Uh, I always like this one. I like the... Uh, Me too, that's great. Yeah, I like the uh, the action in it. It's just weird. Uh, it's just weird enough, actually. Uh, the uh, the women are all, all good in it. The guys are all jerks. Um, and it's just, it's the, the, the stuff that, the, that pops up is just insane. Like the, uh, the, the black women with their little, their like tank that they start rolling through the street towards the end there. It's great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's easily, it's, you know, I can see why this one is, uh, is considered one up in the, uh, the higher echelon of exploitation. It's certainly, yeah. Yeah. uh, one of, uh, Mr. QT's, uh, favorites, but then again, he's got a favorite every three minutes as That's I'm right. sure we all do. Oh, That's yeah. right. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so caught that one. Uh, I watched this movie, Brightburn, from 2019, <clears throat> which is a really lazy, really kind of flimsy, really thin um, kind of take a what, on... What a, kind of a what-if scenario, right? What if Superman went it sour? Is. Yeah, It is, and it's implied that there's supposed to be this whole, I guess, Dark Justice League, Earth uh, 2, whatever. Yeah. Justice League, uh, and it, this thing just doesn't work, man. It's so, it, it's just lazy. Uh, there's nothing, there's nothing going on. There's no real emotion. There's no, uh, I mean, Elizabeth Banks and the um, the guy who plays her husband. Uh, I don't know his name off the top of my head. Um, they're okay, uh, and they do try, but the kid in this is just. Holy fuck, you feel nothing. Nothing whenever he's on screen, except that, you know, oh, there's a little serial killer. There's no attempt made to uh, to expand on him, to give him any kind of depth, to give it... It's just... Uh, I, I just... I'm really surprised that you could fuck something as interesting as this up. Um, but, yeah, they did. So, hey, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Moving on. <laughs> <clears throat> Two movies which is a movie and its sequel. And I gave them the same rating and I was kind of surprised that people <laughs> feel that the one rating is way too low and the, uh, the other one they feel is way too high. A lot of it. Uh, so Samurai cop one and two. Yeah. Um, everybody Tens seems to both. think that, yeah, yeah, obviously, uh, <laughs> Samurai cop, everybody seems to think should be a 10 and everybody thinks that Samurai cop two should be like a one and yeah. man, uh, for me, they're both sixes. So, yeah. No, the, the 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 thing is, Samurai Cop is it's, it's so this is where it always gets a little tricky for people who review cult movies, right? Well, yes, because you know Samurai Cop is you know it's it's the epitome of a cult movie, no doubt. It is, uh, and it, but but it's not. <laughs> let's be honest. It's I love it, and I know Will loves it, but mm-hmm. it's it's six is not an unfair score for that movie. Dude, it, it, it is fucking inept. <laughs> yeah. They're both inept. Here's yeah, the thing. Possible. They are both inept movies. <laughs> the problem is, I think the problem that people have is that number two is so fucking self-aware. Self-aware, yeah. yeah. 
that it just cranks up everything. So you have the really, really in jokey, you know, oh, look, here's Tommy Wiseau. Oh, look, here's a bunch of porn stars. Oh, look, here's a bunch of oh man, really weird sci-fi things that ha- have no... <laughs> that Tommy Wiseau to stuff. Any- that Tommy Wiseau stuff is out there. It is fucking sublime. <laughs> um, it's weird. Yeah, it is. Uh, but that being said, oh, and by the way, yeah, Bai Ling showed up to nobody's surprise since this is a, a CG mess. Because um, that's like her thing, right? If yes. it's a CG hunk of shit, she has to. She's like is contractually obligated to show up in it. Well, she oh, yeah. she'll, she'll drop her clothes in the you know. And, and her dignity. <laughs> and her dignity. Yeah, they're they're one and the same for her. It seems. Yeah, they pretty much are. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean they're they're about equal they're about equal movies for me. They're uh, they're mildly entertaining. Yeah. But I was watching. You know, if you watch them, you get the same. You get the same idea that these are the people making it. Uh, maybe have never actually seen a movie before, um, because <laughs> they just there's no connective tissue. There's no coverage. There's no, you know, things just happen and then don't happen. None of the shots match up. Um, and uh, yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean, they are what they are. Um, <laughs> but the yeah, ten for Samurai Cop, no. Uh, one for Samurai Cop two, no. Come on, um, that's a little. That's a little. Uh, yeah, I mean, cuckoo. it's a movie, right? Oh, it's a movie. Technically, I mean, the yeah. one was made on film, so yeah, I can I can tell you that I, Samurai Cop two. I'm a you know I'm 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 a fan of, but it's 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 a it's a mess. It's a it's a big oh, heaping yeah. mess, yeah. but it's a. Wow, like is that interesting? You, you can't you can't tell what, anything that's happening in these movies because it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know it's just a bunch of bad guys get together, and they have their little secret yeah. society. And samurai cop guy shows up and <laughs> does his thing, and then he almost seems to want to get laid more than he wants to uh, to kill the bad guys. Sure, can you blame him? Um, <laughs> I don't bl- I don't blame him for that, but no. at the same time, it's you know if people are chasing you with guns, you might want to put no. some priority on keeping your ass alive before you. Uh, before you worry about other things. Oh, then again, maybe hey, this might be the last uh, hurrah. So yeah. yeah, last hurrah for chivalry. You don't. You never <laughs> know. Uh, so yeah, I watched those two movies, uh, and they were they're not bad. I didn't uh, didn't hate them, didn't love them. Um, sure, sure, sure. Decent. Uh, and that. Do 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 do. Yep, that's it. Uh, that's all I got for uh, this week. It's always, over to uh, one of you guys. It's always fun to see my name on the credits of Samurai Cop Two. It's in there, so. Yeah, mine should be too. <laughs> yeah, I think. you got to look for it, but yeah, it's quick. But your name's in there. Trust me. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> nice. It's funny. Uh, uh, you know, I know we can do. You can do that a lot now with modern independent film. But it's just you know, that watching that movie is like whoa, and then seeing my name is like whoa again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I enjoy it for what it is. I don't know if I could watch both films in the same week. Because those, be tough, yeah. yeah, those movies are, you know, like I gotta watch one and be like, "Woo, I need a breather on that." <laughs> so well, it's like eating fudge. Yeah, it, and now there's only so much fudge you want. In that's that admirable. Time. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to. Uh, I would have to take some umbrage with that comment. Todd there's wanted never. all the fudge. He I want all the fudge. Scrapple and fudge, man. Those two things. Oh, now I'm have hungry. You ever had chocolate tipped scrapple? No, <laughs> that's just not done, man. <laughs> Well, I bet it would work sac- when heaven and earth collide. That's sacrilegious. <laughs> sacrilegious. There that's right. you go. That's good. I like that. You get this. They get this boy a job in advertising. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Amazing. Sacrilegious. I love that. Yeah. 
I will not forget that. <laughs> the story of my life, everything I look at, I'm like, yeah. That might actually be a Homer Simpson is Simpsonism, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. I think. Yeah. Which is fair. That sounds that sounds yeah. It does sound Simpson y. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right, Will, did you get anything else in other than the movies you had to cram a jam jam last oh, night? Oh yeah. I did. No, I did. We've been really taking advantage of the Disney Plus stuff and Catching up some of the mid '90s to early 2000s stuff, and William wanted to watch Mulan, which I'd never seen. I think it was '98 when it came out, so why would I see it? I was 18, and the Canadian Fonzie, I thought. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I hadn't seen it. Um, you know, I fell asleep a little bit in it, but again, not reflective of the the quality of the film. Um, it was good. I was glad to see it, and I'm glad my kids wanted to see it. Sometimes I worry about the diversity of film that they see. And, and also, as we always talk about, just um, representation, right? It's, uh, you know, getting to see different stories told, even though a lot of times if we're going to be devil's advocate, a lot of stories have similar arcs, but just even to see um, a very generic paintbrush of another culture, at least in some capacity or some lip service paid to it at least there's there's something else he's seeing beyond the, the standard western um setup and, and backdrop right so um yeah no it was it was good it was good for sure uh then we decided to rewatch adventures in babysitting which is also on disney plus mm. now it's funny because the the brother who gets stabbed in the foot is the cousin in hiding out so yeah yeah yeah, it's funny. Yeah. But I got to say this. I take offense. I think you two, we had mentioned this last week on the show, maybe. But, of course, Disney being Disney, they censor Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, one of the things yeah. they're doing. They're, staying, they're sticking to the PG-13, right? But if anything has a slight tinge of an adult material, even then, they're taking that out. Well, yeah. And, and that was disappointing. Like, they take out... Elizabeth Shue's called a bitch by the gang and they get away with witch, which, you know, they get away with it. But there's the scene, the great scene in the subway. Oh, yeah. When she <laughs> says, don't fuck with the babysitter. Yeah, that's right. They change it to don't mess with the babysitter. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah I, that's, that's bullshit. That Especially if you're paying, me. if you're paying, you know, 80 bucks for this, you really should not have to put up with that shit. Like what is this the um, the Mormon fucking yeah, scrubs yeah. thing? Come on, fuck off. Yeah, no, that's that that I, I I would I fucking don't like that at all. That really bothered me, and even William and I. Like William, it's funny to see he really was like we looked at each other at the same moment and rolled our eyes because that that moment loses its punch. Like it's it's yeah. comedic punch when you take yep. away don't fuck with the babysitter. Reminds me of you know? uh, remember the uh, censored version of uh, was it How for Justice or whatever when he or one of the. Movies. Stephen Skull calls somebody Fuzzy a sock sucker. Oh, he calls somebody a mother freaker. Hey, mother freaker! Nice. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Yeah, there's some. There is something comparable in. Yeah. Anyway, there's a few things like that, and then I, I reminded that, or my, or my told him about fuzzy sock sucker, and you know, on and on and on. But anyway, so it's, it's in, on there. But. It's interesting sometimes, though, the way um, censorship works because the F word is considered too harsh, mm-hmm. but. Sometimes the the violence or the sexual innuendo is considered okay. <laughs> yeah. It really just kind of depends on the country. Sometimes it's like you know, it's, absolutely, it's very, it does. It's very strange. The sex, the sex versus the violence. Yeah. Right. Case in point, the sex is more liberally 
left in uh, in European films, and the violence is certainly more left in in North American films. So yeah, um, that's the way it goes, uh, sadly. But anyway, I didn't try to dwell on it too much. It, it's it's one that we quite love. God, Elizabeth Shue. Oh. Yeah. Every time I see her, it's like I see her for the first time again. I'm taken back to my youth and Karate Kid and wanted to go to the uh, the, the go-kart place with her like uh, yeah, Daniel putt. does. Yeah, play, play, play some putt-putt there, babe. Play some putt-putt, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Get driven there by my mom in a station wagon, you know. <laughs> it's amazing. But right. she, she is great. And, and the film is fun. And it's so obviously Toronto for Chicago and that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, next, decided to dip into this year and watch one that everyone's just been losing their mind over, uh, which I'm quite pleased about because it's... You know, he's a filmmaker that's had a lot of acclaim um, in our circles for over a decade now, and that's Bong Joon-ho with Parasite. Oh, okay. Yeah. So have either of you guys seen this yet? Nope. Nope. Oh, man. <laughs> it. I don't want to say too much. Uh, it's a good film. I'm glad it's getting the buzz it is. He, he had said something at the Golden Globes, I think it was, about, and if you... Something to the effect of if you look at that one inch of if you can get past that one inch of subtitles on the bottom of your screen, you'll be introduced to a, an incredible world of film or something to that effect. And yeah, yeah. It, it's so spot on. But um, yeah, he's become a he's become a meme. Yeah, yeah he's, he's become a, another hot topic. Of <laughs> yeah. course, right? But yeah. Um, yeah, but this one was good. This one was good. It's uh, it's a good one. I'm, I just suspect when if we do a top uh, top ten show. Top six list. It'll uh, it'll come back, right? So we'll see. Um, speaking of 2019, decided to take a nautical dareby and watch uh, Mr. Eggers' The Lighthouse. Oh yeah, yeah. So <laughs> kind of hard to describe, ain't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. And this is one I really felt like I wanted to watch. Um, uh, in one sitting because I wanted to be sort of hypnotized by it and kind of get into the rhythm of the film and you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, I, and I just felt like there was moments when the dog was going and Teresa was on the phone with customer service for something and it, you know, it, it, I wanted to kind of just be in, into the rhythm of it but um, nonetheless as we had said last week on the show I think Eggers is a very, very unique filmmaker and hearing that he used lenses from like the 1910s to try to get a very authentic look. It's a fantastic film and it reminds me a little bit of Dreyer's work. Um, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of Bergman's work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I mean, of course, Defoe's a gift, such a gift, such a gift. But Pattinson, my boy, and I told Chris last night on Cool Cat, who I had the distinct pleasure of being with last night and shooting the breeze for about three hours. Um, you guys know, man. I said it since Twilight. Our Pats is the real deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I watch anything he does. He uh, he pursues uh, tough stuff. Mm-hmm. And he transforms. Make a great Batman. I uh, yeah. I'm, I said to <laughs> Teresa. I said I'm so sad about that. And and oh, why? I mean, the guy. You know, he made uh, Twilight movies. Yeah. yeah, but that was because he had to get his foot in the door. Yeah. So that doesn't mean that. I don't think that means that he's like against them. You know, the guy still has to make money. He can't. You he know. does. He can't live on the Eggers paper. Exactly. No, yeah, yeah. I don't. Even, I but, mean, I don't. Even, I won't believe that he'll be Batman until it goes through. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. He could still. I, he could still drop out. 
Okay, so I just lament him being tied up for six years and losing oh, yeah. six good years. Oh, yeah. Because well, look but he at, still might be able to do some interesting stuff in between there. I'm sure it's not going to uh, be. Yeah, you know, there's not that what that one for them, one for me kind of deal. He could there is, that. there is. But when you get in with Nolan, it's. And I like <laughs> Nolan, yeah. but I mean, it's just production. Well, this gonna isn't going to be better. Nolan, though. I thought it was going to be Nolan. No. Okay, who's it going to be? Do you know? Uh, I think this is. Oh crap. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Tom. No, it's not Fuqua. Uh, if it was Fuqua, I'd be more interested. <laughs> yeah, so would I. Damn it, I can't remember who it's going to be. Uh, but I know it's not. It's not uh, Nolan might be like producing it or something like mm, that. But okay. uh, he's not. He's not directing. Uh, I got yeah, you. I can't remember who the director is. Uh, somebody that had a buzzy film recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, I can't remember. It's off not top Ryan Johnson. Is it seems it? like there's a Kelly in the name. Something like a Kelly something maybe. Kelly Reichardt's Batman. <laughs> oh, no, no, that <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Man, I would definitely yeah. see that version. Batman That'd be interesting. at the hot springs with Joker rubbing his shoulders. Well, yeah, you'd have yeah. to get, uh, what's his name, Bonnie uh, <laughs> yeah. Prince Billy there. Bonnie is, Prince uh, Billy, that's right. <laughs> who, who would he be, man? Scarecrow or something? I don't even know who he'd be. Uh, he's, a, he's a chameleon, a jack of all trades, master of none. He could, he'd be, he could do anything. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe uh, he'd be, yeah, he could be, um, yeah, who knows. But anyway, I, I just, I don't like, I mean, listen, I, I like comic book films. I do. Um, but I just don't want to see someone get tied up in something because it just feels like oh, it's Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves. Who, uh, oh, there you go. yes, he didn't. He do. He's, Cul- um, he's Culverfield, and didn't he? Yes, that's right. Uh, Planet of the Apes so. films. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, they were good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's fine. Matt Reeves is fun. It could be interesting. Know. Could be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I like to see him keep his. I, I know we we talked about this being grown ups now. I'm never gonna be angry with someone for for making money, right? I mean, they gotta, you know, they gotta do yeah. their thing. But yeah, yeah. it just to me, uh, he he really has become maybe like a top three film uh, actor for me. I think uh, he's taking. I think I think he's just taking the you know some actors do. I think he's just taking the DiCaprio approach, which is you know work with the directors that you know are interesting, and I think that's yeah. been the smart thing to do and. It is. You can't go wrong if you do that. Yeah, some actors do that, and then some actors never do that. They just go with the material, which you know. Oddly, I was watching. Which is going to open. Uh, yeah. you know, which is going to open well, right? I watched the first like ten minutes of uh, the fanatic, the John Travolta, Fred Durst film. <laughs> oh man, I really want to watch that. Yeah, wait, Fred, Fred Durst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biscuit, Fred, Durst Fred Durst did that. Yeah, okay. I gotta say, the first ten minutes. I'm totally caught up in it. I got to go back and re- I got to go back and finish this thing cause <laughs> I think it's on Netflix. It's on. It's right? definitely on Amazon Prime. I know that. I feel and, like uh, it's on Netflix too because Teresa and I keep watching. You know how Netflix does that thing yeah. where they just automatically start streaming the trailer. Yeah, yeah. Which She's is, like, "What is this?" I'm like, "Oh, I can't wait to watch it. We got to watch it." <laughs> yeah, I got to. I mean, I got to watch it. I mean, the first. I can tell you the first line of dialogue that <laughs> Travolta says. I can't talk long, man. I got to poop. I mean, just him saying that, it's amazing. And And it's funny because he went from really kind of it being a bit cringy with how he was refusing to let go of his hair. Yeah. To it's like he's liberated now. He looks great with that bald head and he's he's doing fun things and he's I don't know. I don't I don't expect the fanatic to be a good film. I do expect the performance from John Travolta to be interesting for 80 minutes. To be interesting. Absolutely. And that's all I want. (laughs) That's all I want from that movie. Yes. Yeah, that's all I want. Uh, (laughs) Did just I think one more this week. Uh, We had our nephews over. One of them's younger. 
so we weren't going to get into like Sam Raimi or anything. So we did uh, Princess and the Frog. I've championed this one on the show before. I got to give credit to my wife because she picked it originally when we saw it about, I don't know, four or five years ago. I think it was the last hand-drawn animated film Disney did. I still love it. I still have the New Orleans setting and the jazz and the Dixieland stuff. One thing that grated on me more this time was the like the Prince character is kind of, um, he's really grating. He really sucks. <laughs> he really bothered me. He, he He's supposed to, I don't know what he's supposed to be in terms of this ambiguous his name's Naveen which is sort of like a Southeast Asian name I believe but he's a very um, grating Prince character mm-hmm. but but the film itself lo- lovingly animated and like I said a breath of fresh air to, you know you have voodoo and it just really really great backdrop um, I'm really really enamored with this one mm-hmm. yeah. So there it is. There's a week. What about you, Sammy, nearby? Uh, I didn't watch much. I watched a couple of films after we got done recording on Sunday. I went back to the 30 for 30 pool. I've been away from it for Ooh. a while. And uh, went over back and, and checked out. There's like a handful or maybe eight films I haven't seen recently that have been made. Are they, doing, uh, are they still churning them out? They're not churning them out like they were. They're still making them, though. They're still doing about nice. you know four or five a year. Uh, nice. You know, I think there was a, you know, a plethora of stories to tell originally and they kind of you know for lack of a better term they kind of blew their you know what their wad there mm-hmm. on everything at first but there's still a lot of stories that can be told and uh these two are good examples so the first one i watch i watched the two bills this is about bill parcells and bill belichick oh and how they've kind of you know parcells has always kind of been there for belichick and even though they have a difficult friendship it's been a friendship and a working relationship that's worked for both of them and uh, it's it's interesting because it kind of gets into the dynamic of Belichick always kind of follow Parcells around because Parcells has always been relatively successful everywhere he goes. Uh, Bill, obviously, Belichick has went on to be very successful, but um, Belichick pretty much will will say over and over again he owes all, almost all of his success to Bar- Parcells. Yeah. So it's very interesting because you know it's there's they 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 have very many they had a lot of heated conversations over the years. And if you watch football during that era, uh, there used to be these great moments where Parcells and Belichick would be getting into it. <laughs> and uh, a lot of that's talked about here and stuff, and there's some uncomfortable moments, but they eventually admit that there, there's some love there. Uh, it's difficult, but there is some love there. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. But it is, it is kind of neat to kind of watch the, the careers of these two guys. And you have to wonder if Parcells would have went on to win more championships and stuff if he didn't have so many health problems. You know, he had a lot of heart trouble and – Things like Adam, he's doing fine now, but you have to wonder if he wouldn't have uh, went on to some things. And there's just some really weird moments. I had forgotten that Pete Carroll originally got that Jets coaching job uh, that uh, Parcells wanted Belichick to get, and then Belichick went to the Patriots because of that. And you think to yourself, what what could have been? It's one of those Jets moments, wow. right? You know, what could have been? You know, it's one of those things. So anyway, that's cool. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's an interesting story um, to say the least. Uh, not a great. I think maybe the mileage may vary on that one. It's a pretty short one. Sports, about yeah. More of a, yeah. yeah, and of course, obviously, you got to kind of be interested in, in listening to football talk for an hour and 20 minutes, so it might not be for mm-hmm. everybody. The next one I watched is interesting, I think, even if you're not a sports fan, and that's uh, The Last Days of Night, which is about Bobby Knight and that whole Ooh. mess that he created in Indiana. Man, and, that was... Yeah, and it's kind of a great tale of power. 
and how power corrupts absolute. So, like, even Todd, I think, would be interested in this. That's, yeah, I would say that Bobby mature. Knight. Yeah, Bobby Knight. Yeah, and he yeah, was pretty. He, he Bobby was, Knight was uh, basketball coach. college basketball coach, University of Indiana. But even before we were in the age we were in, he was very belligerent. He headbutted players. He threw chairs on the court. Like he was a fiery individual. And it was it was one of those great examples of kind of people accepting things because of success. Because of the success that came with it. Yeah. You know, the, the old thing saying, you know, he throws a chair on the court and people made jokes about it and said, oh, that's just Bobby Knight being Bobby Knight. But nowadays, you know, obviously you wouldn't get away with it now. No. But back then it was like, oh, look at Bobby Knight being Bobby Knight again. Look at him Isn't yelling at players. Cute? Look at him choking a player. Well, that, that That's funny. Look at him. Look at him like <laughs> assaulting his own son. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm like, he's his son played for him. So. It's insane. It's insane. And then all the stories behind the scenes, though, though, those are the really disturbing stories. There's scenes where there's, I'll tell you one that's that's interesting, and I can tell you as a father that if my son was privy to this, I would be very upset. Uh, at one point, they had a bad practice or something, so Bobby Knight came into the locker room, pulled his pants down in front of everybody, went into the bathroom, wiped his ass, and brought it back out and shoved it in every player's face. And so that's what oh you play. God. That's what you played like. That's, and uh, and then they're, they're, they're the parents that accept it because they're like, yeah, he's making my son a man. Making men out of them, yeah, yeah. Of course. So there's that old ideology of that. That's that old sportsman ideology that kind of stuck around through the Bobby Knight era. That was pretty toxic. And, well, I uh, turned out okay. Yeah, yeah, I turned out okay. I only beat my kids three days out of five. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's so no there's, pussies here. Yeah. So there's this toxicity, this kind of male toxicity, and again, he was untouchable. The, the like the president of the university wouldn't do anything to him because Indiana loved him. Oh yeah, and he's still a sacred cow in Indiana, even though he won't go there. But he's still a sacred cow. If you talk to anybody, and I live near Indiana, if you talk to anybody near Indiana, they'll still tell you that Bobby Knight's the greatest basketball coach of all time, and they still stand behind him 100. <laughs> percent So it's 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 unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But it's a very interesting story of human. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know if uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it's it's kind of a it's a sad and interesting tale, and uh, I recommend it pretty highly. It's very interesting just to watch how power and politics play a part in something that really shouldn't. You know, in America, it's funny. In America, you'll hear, and Todd probably even hears this, even though he's not a sports guy. That I like watching college sports because they're playing for something. They're playing for the love of the game. But college sports is so fucking tainted. It's, oh, un- yeah. it's unbelievable. It, it is not even close. I'd say pro sports is cleaner than college sports any day of the week. And college sports yeah, I would agree. Are, are a joke. And they are dirty still. Yeah. yeah, they are a joke. And the only reason why college sports exist is because people get fat bonuses presidents of the they they all want sports to be high because they make more money it's the capitalist system at its peak it's 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 a joke it's the reason why if your son isn't that good at sports he's got to pay a premium and pay debt for the rest of his life to get an education that's ridiculous college sports are supported by people who pay no attention to what the fuck they are doing so i i've i've, I've been out of the college sports realm for a long time uh i think it's all a big joke and and it's hilarious to me because there is no college sports. It's just a big money-generating machine, and then we throw people into the pros with no education, no nothing, and then we celebrate a bunch of yahoos who don't know what the fuck they're doing. And it's just mm-hmm. a big joke. And uh, it's one of the reasons, like I said, where 
you know, we've gotten away from a lot of different types of sports in our house because, you know, it's it's all it's not about Zion's rookie year. It's about when Zion's fucking rap album drops. And I could give yeah. two shits about any of that garbage. What I care about, what I used to care about was the game. And mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, it's not about the game anymore. It's about money generating. It's about tennis shoes. It's about merchandise. It's a big joke. So anyway, that's me. On my, I'm, 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 you know, my wife did say to me last night she'd like to watch the Joker. And I was like, oh, <laughs> 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 let me call nice. Todd up, see if he can watch via Skype with us. Yeah, be on that one. <laughs> But uh, that was my soapbox moment right there, college sports and pro sports and everything. And again, I love the games. I love football. I love baseball. I love basketball. I love the games themselves. But business has corrupted these things to the nth degree, and it's really kind of a shame because I don't think there's any purity left in sports. I really don't, personally. No, there isn't. There hasn't been for a long time. Yeah, there hasn't been for a long time, but there's no there's no real purity left anymore. So, yeah, it's, it's just a big thing that the media tries to sell you, and uh, it's all bullshit. It'll, it, you, yeah. you know. It eventually all comes out. The people that were your heroes are probably diddling children, and then you got other people doing this, and it's just—it's a big joke. So, you know, whatever. Blow it up, I say. Blow it up and start over. Yeah, <laughs> my soft soapbox moment. Yeah, God damn it, motherfucker! <laughs> I'm gonna go watch some wrestling. Anyway, uh, that's all I watched this past week. But it's pretty good. I, I had the ESPN Plus. So ESPN Plus. So it's part of the Disney package in America. I don't know if they have this in Canada. Is you? Can, oh, of course they don't. Yeah, you you can you got the ESP. You got the twelve ninety nine a month. You can pay. You get it. You get Hulu. You get Disney Plus, and you get ESPN Plus. We don't get that. Yeah, here. you don't get that. Yeah. Um, so I got part of that package was the ESPN Plus. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on ESPN Plus I don't care for, but they're all the the thirty for thirty catalogs on there. So if anybody wants to go back and watch a hundred pretty interesting films, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Of, there is a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, you and yeah. I have both championed it over the years. Yeah. Some stuff will cater more to sports fans. Some as just as documentary fans. There's yeah. the slice of life stuff in there that transcends box yeah. scores and sports uh, in general. Yeah, there's a lot of good human stories in there, um, mm-hmm. and I highly recommend for those who haven't seen it that uh, was was it a ten part or whatever that O.J. Simpson one. Oh, so good. That one was amazing. And uh, there's some good ones. The ones were brothers one about the Balkan conflict. Um, oh, yeah. Yugoslavia, Serbia. That, that It's at uh, its best when it deals, when it brings real life material into the sports world. Yeah. That's when it's at its best. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely highly recommend. I mean, I could go through and recommend probably 20 of those as great movies great documentaries two pablo's pretty interesting yeah there's some good ones man there's some really good ones in there um and even those, those soccer short ones are fantastic too yeah. tremendous yep really good stuff so yeah highly recommend you check those out if you get a chance and if you got that subscription dig in man you're gonna be very happy you did if uh my, my recommendation is if it's uh directed toward like the sport itself and you're not interested in the sport then you probably can steer clear of those. But if you're more interested in the personalities behind the sport and the kind of political and maybe societal kind of values of the story, chances are you're going to like that one more. So that that would be my that would be my kind of ballpark recommend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good good stuff in there. A couple of those, you know, more than a few of those have made my top ten over the years, right? So absolutely, some yeah. very good stuff. All right, we're going to take a break. I just spit on my microphone. That's right. And yeah. uh, that's how excited I am to talk about Siri Noir. Yeah, that's how excited I am to talk about Siri Noir, a film that made me feel good about life. That's uh, it. 
that posi- only Jim Thompson can. <laughs> that positive, they have that positivity is seeping through yeah. in this one. And then you yeah. read the stories behind the scenes of the actors and everything else, and you're like, Jesus Christ, this thing just gets more depressing as we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk a little Siri Noir, which every time I say it out loud, I feel, I feel like I'm saying like a brand of cereal from France. Or something. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know what it is. It's just the way I say it. I, I don't it want does, two it bowls stay crunchy of this, man. Milk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, there's some hair in this cereal. Is uh, there? Oh, there sure is. Oh yeah, man. Some uh, some twine dare bay. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and a dirty Indeed. bowl. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. There's more than one or two dirty bowls in this movie. Oh, there sure is. <laughs> All right. We'll be back right after this. of that played the better i don't know the um interesting thing about that song is if you listen to it the girl in the song is the aggressor it's very odd and she fought through the door and threw him on the ground there so it wasn't his fault at all yeah that's that's the logic i think you're trying to you know avoid if uh that sounds like a good defense (laughs) yeah if you're in court if you're in court there buddy Let me tell you, that probably won't fly. That uh, ain't flying. That's right. All right, our first film, Siri Noir, uh, 1979. There's a bit of a theme to our movies this week, so we'll kind of get into it. Not An, in- an inadvertent theme. Inadvertent theme, theme yeah. It, it's, it's not, you know, and again, you have to say this nowadays. Obviously, it was a different time when these movies were made and stuff, so, you know, you'll hear us talk about it. Let's, let's just put it that way. So it's a little bit more, I guess, ultimately disturbing in this one i guess than it would be in other ones in the other one because i think in the other one it kind of pans out and makes a little bit of sense but yeah as much as that movie can make sense but this one it uh this one's a little bit more disturbing right because you got prostitution involved and just some deplorable people okay so we'll get into it here uh 1979 directed by elaine cono elaine elaine cono um uh, I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen anything else of his. But uh, yes, you have. We've covered have something he's done on the show. Wow, have I? What was yeah. it? Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, it was. Um, I'll tell you right now. It was with uh, our boy Gerard Depardieu, Le Choix des Armes. Oh. With uh, Yves Montand, Barbara Boucher, and him. Ah, uh, yes, I remember or that. Barbara Boucher, Catherine Deneuve. I meant uh, to yeah, say. Yeah, I remember that. I like that. I like that movie. I remember. I like that one. Yeah, it was a good one, man. Uh, good. And police, polite Python, Python. Police Python 357, we've almost covered on the show a number of times. Got a great Good title. French crime film. Yeah. yeah. Great title, Police Python. All right. Uh, Franck Poupart. Uh, I guess Poupart? Poupart? Poupart. Poupart, yeah. Poupart. 
What an unfortunate name. Yeah, if you had if you had an F in there, Poofart, that would be the worst name. Frank Frank Poofart. Uh, it's yeah, a slightly man. neurotic. This is kind of funny to say this. Is a slightly neurotic door to door salesman in the sinister part of Paris suburbs. In the Paris suburbs, uh, he meets Mona, a teenager who's been made a prostitute by her own aunt. And uh, then he kind of goes into savior mode a bit. So that's about basically all I'll say. Um, yeah, so this was the uh, first time I'd seen this one. Um, and I, I can't believe I forgot about that Yzmaton. I can't believe I forgot about that film, but I remember that one vividly. It was a good yeah, one. I, I, was a good filmmaker. Um, I, yeah, there's a lot of French films from that mid-70s to mid-80s that are underseen and we've tried to cover some over the years on the show. Um, yeah, yeah. And we'll cover more. Uh, but it's just like Japan when you get that mid seventies, the mid eighties stuff. Sometimes it just wasn't, wasn't really packaged for a North American audience. Yeah. Usually whenever a country's volume or films tend to kind of disappear, it seems for like a decade or so, you kind of go back and look at that decade and you're like, Whoa, there's some good stuff in here. Oh yeah. It's just kind of, you know, disappears from uh, public view a little bit. All right, who wants to lead on Siri Noir? Anybody got any? Well, uh, I I picked it, so I, I would happily defer to one of you guys. Yes. Todd, do you want to do it? you want me to do it? Uh, I could do it. Can you do it? Yeah, you can do it. Yeah. You got a big suitcase full of uh, review? Uh, <laughs> big suitcase you're carrying around? <laughs> With blenders and everything yeah. else in there. Knocking into stuff all House coats, momos. Am, am I the only one, first of all, Am I the only one that thought uh, all the wallpaper in this movie was terrible? And two... Uh, terrible and grimy. Oh, man. These are some, some of the dirtiest houses I've ever seen. This whole movie is like is like wet mud. I mean, there's wet mud in it, and the whole movie feels like wet mud. It is a filthy film. You know what? It, it feels authentically filthy. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, like, Fassbender stuff. Yeah, it's got absolutely. A, it's got a very strong yeah, yeah. Fassbender feel to it. But anyway, the... Um, the big wooden suitcase knocking into all the door jams and everything, man, I'd be so pissed off if somebody came into my house and was hitting everything with their big fucking suitcase, man. Swinging it around. Yeah. Swing, he's swinging that case around, man. Anyway, uh, Todd, let's hear it, bro. All righty. Uh, so yeah, Patrick, uh, Dewar, Dewaray, um, yeah. however you would care to pronounce it. Yeah. Gives us uh, his best Marcel Marceau impression uh, to open <laughs> yes. the film, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, immediately, right during the credit sequence, uh, you're clearly shown that this guy is basically a schlub with fantasies of being, you know, quote unquote, important. Yeah. Uh, and that's really kind of what's going to drive the whole the whole film. Um, the Mona character is, you know, she's a, 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 she's half Lolita um, and half a damsel in distress. Uh, so she's, you know, she's obviously damaged, uh, which you could tell by her kind of affectless, uh, demeanor. Um, she feels very checked out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, she's absolutely trouble. Mm -hmm. Uh, but Frank tries to do the decent thing by her, at least at first. Um, you know, she's the bait that, uh, that plays to his, his, uh, his fantasy, his fantasy of being important. He's someone to be a hero to. Uh, and that's kind of the way that the the relationship is going to play. Um, Everything kind of like what Sammy was saying on that as the same level. You know, everything in this world, in this uh, particular world, is is disheveled. It's uh, not the best part of uh, of Paris. Uh, it's like you know, everything looks like it was just raided by the Nazis, mm-hmm. um, and it's a really it's a really downtrodden world. 
yeah. uh, and Frank only really has Frank the, P- the Patrick uh, character um, only has his principles to look up to. Right. Uh, he'll 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 do this thing where he'll like he'll argue and then he'll apologize. He'll collect money and then he'll give it back. He uh, he seems to have a big heart in here. Uh, at least that seems to be a big weakness. Um, to, 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 to do uh, his home life is uh, is kind of the real world that he can't paper over. Uh, his relationship with his wife is all conflict. Um, it's interesting because the real world just keeps punching him, and it's not to say he doesn't invite some of the hits, but you do kind of feel for him. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, that's really kind of the trick here, and something that Jim Thompson Jim Thompson has always been. Uh, really kind of known for is taking people who are just kind of down on their luck, uh, but not horrible people at first, but he seems to be able to find the hook uh, inside them that brings out uh, their worst aspects. Yeah. Be it from, uh, be it from, um, uh, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, horniness uh, or greed or, you know, any, anything. Well, Uh, when I think of Thompson, I always think of desperation. I do think it's there is that, yeah. There is that. There's always that borderline of characters on the edge that are tipping over, and it seems to be his, you know, where he kind of, you know, where he kind of lived with his stories. And the, the, the Corneau does a really good job of kind of showing that. I think with that opening shot of Dewar kind of living in his kind of fantasy world with music and stuff, he does that a couple times in the movie where he does yes. these kind of dance moments and stuff. Yep. And they're very interesting because it's almost like this is his escape from his own kind of pathos in a way because yeah. he's clearly a character, like you said, you know he's he's a very odd character because he's he's very aggressive, and eventually that kind of that aggression eventually plays itself out. But he he's fighting it. It's like he's constantly fighting, wanting to go that way, but it's almost like he can't help it. He, he's it, it's it's just a matter of time before this guy explodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. It's funny that you say that because I immediately when you when we uh, we went back to the the whole you know dancing with himself kind of deal, uh, and I hate to bring this up, but it, it oh, kind of no, reminded me a little bit of Joker. <laughs> well, oh. again, so, again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just it's just well, a statement. It's not no, a no, judgment. No, no, no. Listen, I think that's a fair statement because yeah. there was moments in this because the one of the and, speak, and speaking of di- of desperation as well. Yes. Well, precisely right. People on the margins. Yes, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also felt or made note of that because I felt like, yeah. and I was going to kind of say to you guys, Dore to me, he does this really great tightrope walk, much like Phoenix does, mm-hmm. where there is a sympathy in spite of some very ugly mm-hmm. behavior. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's no small feat. Dore has done a few films I've seen over his career because he sadly, you know, ended his life at a young age. But um, he's done a few films where to read on paper what he does or what the the plot of the films are, you would think this is just vile and ugly, but with his eyes, there's something about his eyes and about his performance that there is a duality to him. Yeah. And there's a, a, a tender kind of damaged side, but there's, yeah, there's this tightly coiled kind of just snap. It's this spring that just kind of snaps too. And, I also wrote down like he would be like the French Joker if they made it. Yeah, so it's uh, funny. You know. All three of us are on the same page here because I just watched, you know, the last week Taxi Driver again, right? And right, yep. right. So right. you get the same vibe here. You get people caught up in their own kind of psychological state, 
and, their own de- desperation, right? And, yeah, and their fantasy starts to become their reality because they kind of they kind of see it through. And mm-hmm. so this so this is what has bothered me the most about the Joker criticism is these movies have been being made well you know well before the Joker these films were being made. This is forty years ago. Yeah, yeah. And the Joker is just another kind of reinterpretation of this human behavior. It just happens to have a a comic book skin on it. That's Uh, right. So which makes it more accessible, which I guess is the argument that it's irresponsible. But um, truth is, these films have been being made for a long time because human beings are that complicated. They can get caught up in their own. Yeah, and you know, this is... You know, I, I, made, I made a note here. I didn't know if I was going to mention it or not because it's such a buzzword we all hate and stuff. But, I mean, this is the definition in some ways of this sort of incel culture we talk about. We got this, you know, this character who has all these issues and stuff. Even though or, in this case. Or even case, you could say, sorry, Sammy, you could even say emasculated. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a real mess of human psychosis in this whole thing. I mean, everybody in this movie is mm-hmm. very damaged. Uh, I, I guess so. the only person that might not be damaged might be his boss, maybe Bernard Blyer. Yeah. yeah, but I think he's well, he's the, the only, he's the only one who's yeah okay. But yeah. he's he's kind of damaged by his love of money. So I mean, there's there there's no black and white characters here. Everybody is very 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 gray and very tainted. And brown. Yeah, <laughs> oh, brown brown might be the better word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be the better word actually because there's a lot of brown in here. <laughs> A lot of Charles Dump uh, home oh, decorating. Man. Yeah, man. So everybody's house is... I, I, you know, whatever. I, I, I couldn't hang out in a lot of these houses, let's put it that way. I, I thought about you rewatching this and how you would not eat a bowl of cereal with Frank Pupar. I would not. I, 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 would def, I wouldn't even drink out of one of the glasses if he offered me a drink. Like I, I was looking at those glasses. I was watching Takiti's drink his uh, whiskey or whatever. And I was oh, like, yeah, man, yeah. I bet that glass has fucking grease marks on it, fucking pubic hair. There's Someone's no ashed in it. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, all, all my OCD elements start kicking in, you know? Oh, man. And I wouldn't even use the water to wash that glass because the water's probably fucking brown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. oh, and the rag, you know the rag's been <laughs> oh, my God. wiped the floor. It's probably wiped someone's ass. It's Oh, you know, <laughs> every fabric in that house, in his house, is, cr- oh. is crunchy probably from wiping stuff off of things, if you know what I'm saying. So yeah. it's, 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 uh. Uh, yeah, I just the movie feels. I I, I, I applaud Cornell for that because the movie feels skeevy, authentically and, skeevy. Yeah, yeah yep, and it yep. is that way. Like nobody feels, uh, both psychologically and physically, nobody really feels clean. Mm-hmm. It, everybody is is very messy. It's very messy, right? It's very yeah. human in that way. I, that, I, I'm sorry. I'll, Jump off. But it's funny, all three of us got some Joker vibes because totally. I, I think Todd Phillips was going for that. You know, I think he's a guy who's been educated by film as he's gone along. He's roughly the same age as Todd and I, uh, so I think he's been educated on film as he's went along. And I think you know he was going back, obviously, with Joker to revisit that type of filmmaking. And obviously, he's gotten blasted by it. But you know, the success of the movie is actually kind of heartening. You know, it's kind of a good thing for me because it's it's kind of a '70s based character piece that was a big hit. And I kind of hope that that turns the page and we get more of that. But, you know, we whatever. Just go ahead, Todd. Sorry. No problem. Uh, so, 
The Joker, Joker movie. Get... We're never. We're not going to escape this Joker thing for a long time, are we? No, it's it, it's going to be the monkey on our back, as Aldo Nova would sing. Um, <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. This <laughs> isn't it. Uh, so uh, the the uh, <laughs> the thing that uh, really stuck out to me about this movie is that the Parisian chapter of the Hell's Angels really loved the boogie, oh, uh, and they really really love to man. kiss guys. Oh man, they're all about they're all about that suck face life. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, I was uh, yeah, I was completely unshocked. Uh, by that scene, Steve um, Sandor approves of that scene. Yes. <laughs> oh Lord, he does. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to point that one no, out. No, um, no splits, but they he does split them lips. There, man. Yeah. I love uh, Dwyer's character reaction. Like he could react with violence, but he's like so shocked by the moment he just walks away. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. He's like, what the fuck? What, what else are you going to do? Yeah, I know. Like, I okay, that happened. Not much. Yeah, I don't know what I'd do in that scenario. I guess I'd go with it and be like, dude, I mean, you're not my thing, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, Get a stinky mustache out of my face. It, apparently, that was the real Paris Hells Angels. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, hey, GG, they, uh, GGTMC to the bone, them guys. Man. To the bone. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that's what he was might have been reaching for under the bar. Um, <laughs> that uh, Dewey bone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that bar, yeah, that bar looks that. more like a deli more than it does a bar. <laughs> <laughs> that's how the French that roll. Court beef. That beat that bistro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, then the uh, the Mona character. Um, when she comes back into Frank's life, we really start to see how the uh, the delusions uh, of the two characters differ because that's obviously you know what the movie is kind of playing on. Um, you know, Frank kind of does things all in his head, uh, stuff he would never actually act out or be capable of acting out. Um, whereas Mona's fantasy fits her kind of sociopathy, uh, and she's willing to do it despite what uh, what that entails. The Frank character's problem is going along with this while trying to maintain his more heroic delusion. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, he's just a man and can't resist temptation. Um, you know, kind of like, uh, as has always been, like we said, uh, Jim Thompson staple. Uh, and that's the thing that moves the, the film along. Um, yeah. Is this really... Uh, this really odd dichotomy. Uh, and, and it was really interesting to me uh, because... The um, the uh, the Mona character, um, she she's really extremely like hot and cold. Like she brings up this this plan, uh, but then she doesn't want to go along with it. But then she wants it done her way. But then when it actually happens, then you know she starts flipping out mm. uh, because of the lengths that the uh, that Frank seems to uh, feel that he needs to go to in order to uh, to pull this off. Um, so it was really, it was really odd, uh, just the way that, uh, that she played that out. Um, you know, that's something Thompson does, you know, he had, he entered, he, had, he always has characters introducing themselves to each other in some way or falling upon, you know, or just kind of running into each other. And some character is that catalyst, right. For taking the other character over the top. Right. And, yeah. and yeah, she is hot and cold and there's like moments where she's like completely distant. And then just enough enticing moments for the Dewar character to take him over the edge. And it's, yeah. it's really this very odd kind of precocious sexual performance that's kind of weird. 
Yes. Uh, and it just, you know, it just, he can't get her out of his head because she's, yeah. she's gotten in there. It's like almost in the, it's like almost in the beginning, like he's trying to stay away from her a little bit. But then she, well, he is, at, he is at first, he, you know, yeah. he's, he's covering her up and, and bear in mind that the Trintignant was, uh, I believe 17. Uh, when this was made, well, which is, uh, she was, yes, yeah, which and is, she's playing, and she, but she's playing a fifteen-year-old. Yeah, which is why I played the seventeen song at the. Uh huh. Yeah, so. But yeah, um, so this is dealing with some really kind of dark and disturbing stuff. Maybe not as disturbing for, and I'm not, I don't mean this in a bad way. Forgive me. Maybe not as disturbing for European culture or Paris culture, but certainly for a modern American culture, very Puritan culture, it's very disturbing stuff, right? So, right, mm-hmm. uh, we're dealing with some kind of dark alleys here. Uh, right, right. For lack of a better word. Oof. Yeah, and nobody really seems to, to bat an eye no. uh, about uh, about what she's what she's forced to do or says she's forced to do or yeah. however you'd care to, to interpret to place that. because obviously yeah. there's there's stuff going on underneath that we're not privy to because mm. this character is, you know, just not uh not reliable um in any way, shape or form really. Yeah. Uh, she's, you know, she's suspect from the very start. Uh, as soon as she, you know, drops her clothes, uh, in front of, uh, in front of Frank, uh, the first time that they meet. Um, so you can see where that's going to go. And then the, uh, the Takedi's character, uh, played by Andreas Katsoulis, uh, is, uh, it's just a great little meathead role. Um, he's easily suckered in and, uh, you know, obviously likely more trouble than he's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that being said, and this is where I think the film missteps uh, is that the scene where him and Frank get drunk is entirely too long. That is a long drinking scene. <laughs> it takes, it, it feels like days uh, and not in like a good way. Yeah. Um, it really just, it really just drags out way too long. It killed the pace uh, for me. Not, not enough that, yeah, not enough that it kills the movie, but you certainly, you certainly uh, feel at that point that you're like, oh Jesus, now I got to get back into it, uh, get this thing rolling again. Um, the turning point of the film uh, when it happens is really stark, uh, and like all plans, it doesn't go entirely right. And from here on out uh, is when the uh, the screws really start to turn uh, on the film as uh, as Frank tries to uh, negotiate his way uh out of uh out of the trouble that he's created for himself yeah um so the interesting thing corbo here he i he he shoots the film in a really unflattering way uh that i thought really emphasizes that the uh that the slums uh that frank is surrounded by are kind of inescapable um because there seems to be like you know certain locales that they use and they use them over and over again so you really get used to uh where they are you almost you almost have the geography down in your head uh and it feels like that's you know that's the totality uh of uh, frank's world um and like i said corbo really shoots it uh, really shoots it well um but that being said as well uh, there's uh, there's humor here uh uh you know here and there and sometimes it's even a little bit slapstick uh, and sometimes it's a bit dark, but it is in there. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, really kind of, um, a hallmark of, uh, of both Thompson and certainly French, uh, French filmmaking in general, French crime, uh, filmmaking. They tend to want to, uh, to stick some oddball, uh, things in there here and there. Um, they don't like to play it too serious, especially at this point in time, uh, late seventies, early eighties. Uh, 
I think that char- that charisma that Dewar has of the what it reminds me of uh, that kind of likable psychopath, uh, kind of down on his luck. But he's there, like Will had said. There's something kind of charming in his eyes. There's a humanity. Yeah. There is a kindness in there. It's not like he's just a monster as much yeah. as he does some really, really well, vile things. Well, I think that's why it's important that he doesn't just jump on the Mona character yeah. uh, the first time. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, had he done that, then you would probably feel an entirely different way about right, him. But right. uh, since he does try to do the right thing at first, um, you know, you, you do kind of connect with him a little bit more because you're like, okay, well, I, that I can understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting because, you know, he insists uh, to his wife that he's not a fool, but that's precisely what he is and always right. has been. Oh, yeah. Um, and crime films like this, you know, really kind of depend on that. Mm-hmm. They, they do. depend on, on him being desperate uh, losers. Know, right? Exactly. Not exactly. not to be harsh, but that's really, he's the archetype. No, that's exactly. A, a nuanced archetype, you know, if I may yep. sort of use a kind of contradictory term, but that's really what he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, DeWary gives a great performance, uh, I think, veering from, you know, this sort of uh, childish glee thing that he does to anger, to paranoia, to guilt, to devious. Um, yeah, I think it's, he, he really kind of he really kind of hits all the uh, it's an amazing all the notes, in my opinion. And he does, yeah, it's amazing performance. I, I really was overwhelmed by how good he is in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and he just slips like seamlessly uh, on a dime. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's it's. It's a performance for the ages. I mean, it's it's one of those. It's one of those performances where you're like, holy shit. I'm so happy both of you said that because yeah. that's exactly how I felt when I first saw it. And I immediately went and rushed out and saw about three more of his films. And <laughs> he, he became like a favorite of mine. Like he does one, another one I want to do that's got him and Depardieu. We're going to drop it in a few months maybe called Buffet Foie, which has Corneau in it. Or Corneau. Blyer, the, um, the boss in this. Oh, and uh-huh. Oh, fuck. I mean, what a revelation he was. And that's one of the great things about what we do, not just to sort of hijack the conversation. But when you discover a filmmaker or an actor that you never knew existed, and then it's like, oh, my gosh, what a revelation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he, you know, committed suicide at a young age is very tragic. But it's one of those things where he was, I think, such a raw, emotional performer that you know a lot of that stuff kind of came through and at least in this performance anyway when i read that he had committed suicide at, at you know like i don't remember how old he was was the upper 30s or something like that i want to say about 35 or so roughly. yeah uh it's it's one of those things where it's like it's like you know you're always surprised to see that but sometimes depending on the you know i don't know how to say this i don't want to say because i mean there's been actors like this before who've never done this but I feel like a lot of his emotions and a lot of his personal demons are kind of there. Yes. And there's just this real sense of real desperation in this character that I was kind of overwhelmed by. Like, I was like, you know, is, is this guy even acting at this point? I know. You know it, it felt a little too real, if that, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And in that kind of uncomfortable way that almost like I think that bothered people about Joaquin Phoenix and Joker, I think it's... It's so raw, kind of such an open nerve of a, of a performance mm-hmm. that it, 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 it causes people to turn away and, mm-hmm. you know, not want to see it because you just, you know, you just feel 
both bad for this character and appalled by this character because that's that's right really what's going on here because you are appalled by the things he does the violence in this movie are is clumsy ugly uh it's not over it's not it's not gaspar noe violence but it's certainly ugly in the way gaspar noe violence can be and yeah but these are these are roles that you know they have to uh do that they have to be raw it takes a certain level of actor to pull this off otherwise you don't you know you're not going to want to follow this guy uh, and see what happens to him except that it may be more of a curiosity well i think that's what you know some of the films we've talked about in the past i think the ones that are the most haunting are the ones where actors you get the actors with the raw nerve acting and the violence or the sexuality when those two mix, they can really hit a nerve on an audience. I think of Joe Spinell and Maniac. I think of, you know, Joaquin Phoenix and or in a uh, Joker. I think of uh, Robert De Niro and Taxi Driver. And you know, throughout the history of doing the show, we've done this several times. There's more. Obviously, there's more. We could we could go on for probably an hour talking about performances like this. But this is one of those. This is definitely and an underseen one. I would say. I'd say this is one of those underseen versions of those kind of performances. I mean. He is as important to this movie as De Niro is to Taxi Driver. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, he is. This is a well-made film, but DeWare is the reason to see this movie. Uh, for me personally, I think oh, it's yeah. well-made. But I mean, he is. He's in almost every scene. Yeah. And rightfully so. It's it's it's. I mean, it's man. It's one of the best performances I've I've seen in some time. It is definitely oh, yeah. one for the ages. Uh, yeah. I would agree with you on that. Um. Now, that being said, uh, I find it odd that the Mona character is really kind of unexplored. Yeah. Uh, but that's also part of her purpose is that she's this kind of inscrutable, temperamental symbol of desire. Um, but, you know, that being the case, uh, you know, at the end of the day, every decision in the movie is Frank's. Yeah. Um, yes. So you can't really, you know, you know, you cannot go saying that it's, you know, on somebody else. Ultimately, it's uh, it's him yeah. uh, making the choices so, that wind him up where he, where, he, where he goes. So unexplored that at moments I thought maybe she was almost a figment of his imagination. <laughs> Which uh, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's an interesting approach for sure, and it's fair. I, I think that, um, I was going to say Blyer, uh, Corneau is a good enough filmmaker that I, I, I don't feel like her lack of material is anything more than how Frank perceived her and wanted to fit her into a box more than anything. Like, you know, I don't think it's him underserving her for sort of piggish reasons. You know what I mean? No, I don't think it's that at all. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I don't think that uh, it's because of uh, anything other than that. That's just what she's supposed to be uh, to Frank. Um, Uh, impossible to figure out, yeah. uh, but at the same time, that's it's the that's the connection that he needs. So, um, you know, the movie doesn't end li- like I expected it to, Boy, uh, but it's yeah. also extremely fitting, yeah. uh, considering what's going through the characters' minds. Yeah, it, um, it really didn't. I was kind of shocked by the ending, actually. And it's really it, you know, it's yeah. I, I was especially shocked by by what happens. Uh, it's one of those endings where before I would, the last shot. Yeah, like, like if we were all three set in the theater together and we had never seen this, all three of us. And the ending came up. I'd look at both of you and be like, what the, "Seriously, <laughs> what, the, what, the, what the fuck?" <laughs> well, it's it's you know it's really it's interesting because it's it's both happy and really pathetically sad. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. Um, like at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and it's really, I, I thought it was as much as I wasn't expecting it, as much as I didn't want it to do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I was still like, okay, that at least makes sense. That at least fits. Yeah. Uh, with the, you know, the, the circle that we've made from the beginning of the movie. And it's almost careful what you wish for, right? Yeah. 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 Right. Absolutely. I think it, it is a fascinating thing. You could look at it in a few different ways, but it is, yeah, it's, and it almost not to spoil it, but this is a much, you know, much like the title, this is a very noiry film, right? It's yeah. Jim Thompson. So, yeah. um, that end is so noir. Yeah, it is. With, oh, yeah. with yeah. a tinge of, um, Oh, what's his name that did uh, uh, Umbrellas of Sherbert? What's his name? Um, what's the filmmaker's name? There, there was a there was a time when I could drop a name like you like you know like I drop hair from my head nowadays, but the, like I drop loads. Yeah, well, I don't do that as much as I used to. Unfortunately, dropping that chicken gravy on the biscuit, baby. <laughs> Let me tell you something, baby. You gotta work a little what's harder to get that gravy out that biscuit, there, baby. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, oh man! I got, anyway, the filmmaker. I, know, I feel terrible not thinking of his name. I'm gonna have to type it as I'm talking here. But that ending is very, to me, very noiry, and it's also very much in line with that filmmaker. Where there's this, um, what's the term I'm looking for? It, it's it's a very bittersweet. There, there's an uh, not cynicism, but there's sort of a Jacques tragic de, Jacques Demi. Yes, Jacques Demi. Man, I feel bad for him. But there's a very, very tragic comic, pathetic kind of feel to it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There, no, I, well, I, I tell you, I, this should tell you everything. I think all of us probably had the same emotion when you see the end. Like a lot of noir films that do this, I both hated the ending and loved mm-hmm. the. I love the ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes no sense, and, and yet it, it makes, makes perfect, perfect sense. sense. Yeah, it's like. It, re- it repulsed me, but at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, it's go- it's one of those endings that's going to fall sometimes on you know the person who watches it and how Ooh, you. Some be- people are going to hate it. Yeah, and how you oh, yeah. and how you believe things should play out. Yeah. Um, but if you look at it as human reality, it makes sense. I mean, you know, yes, sometimes whether we like it or not, that's the way things play out. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, well, I mean, like I said, I, I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's a more. This is the ending that the film needs. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily, you know, what we want. It's what the film needs. Yeah. And this, this one fits for what this film needs to end like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the best I could say about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, without obviously, without getting into specifics. This ending would not play well today. Ah <laughs> uh, no. Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> Uh, I think we just saw a film uh, recently. That won't bring up the title of again. Right. <coughs> 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 I'm just clearing my throat. Yeah, that's right. Samurai, Co- Samurai Cop 2. That was it. Yes. <laughs> yes. People hate that one. Uh, well, that ending is out there. No doubt about oh, it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. Uh, but that's all the notes that I got um, no, on this one. Yeah, I really uh, I, I dug it a lot. So. Yeah. Kick it oh, over to one of you guys. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I liked it a lot as well, man. Uh, I really got into it. Of course, this is really kind of in my ballpark. I like character study, small films. Uh, as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that probably my favorite films are really movies like this. That kind of take, uh, you know, a, a backdrop like this that seems more real, uh, dealing with characters that are very gray. 
um, and just, you know, dealing with kind of humanity. Uh, I, of course, I love white hat, black hat stuff. I love heroes and villains and all that stuff. We all do. But uh, as I get older, I think uh, humanity kind of plays more of a part in these stories. And it, it has for me for some time. And so I didn't know what I was kind of getting into with this one. Uh, Will kind of threw it out there. And I was like, I'd never seen it. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of I'm really happy I saw it because it is kind of one of those films that I'll never forget because of how pivotal that performance is and how important it is to me personally. I mean, Jim Thompson is something, I mean, I read a lot of that when I was younger. I still revisit that stuff sometimes, uh, but this it really takes his stuff and adapts it quite well. It really takes that kind of um, atmosphere that he creates and really just kind of throws it in the middle of Paris. Or in the middle mm-hmm. of France, or wherever you want to call it, outside of Paris. Where I guess it's like outside of Paris somewhere. Um, but it does a really good job of that, and it's kind of shows you that you know, again, you got an American writer, and it shows you the universal human themes that we all kind of go through, whether it be societal or not. It's there's some things that just happen, and I've often thought about in 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 crime, uh, which is something I'm a bit fascinated with anyway. Sometimes people meeting the wrong person at the right at the right time creates this world of tragedy for people you know you think mm-hmm. about you know bad you think about marriages of bad people marrying another person that kind of accentuates that <clears throat> i was uh you know you, uh, the serial killers over time who've branded other people who've kind of accelerated their actions or behaviors it's, it's just you know sometimes we meet the right people in our life and sometimes we meet the wrong people in our life. And if we're in a bad spot, it can kind of create, you know, our future without us even knowing it. Yeah. I don't know if if the Mona character is a bad thing, but uh, for, well, I guess it is for in our, for our character, for Dwyer's character here. Because obviously he's already on the borderline of going over. He's already headed that way anyway. I mean, there's certainly some some damage there some desperation and some damage and i guess she just kicks it over but it is interesting that there is a bit of valiant behavior from him like he could easily just jump into bed with this underage girl i mean she offers herself to him almost immediately uh you know we didn't say this but i mean the aunt obviously is a clearly despicable character too um i guess the only character in this movie i think that's kind of innocent in any way would probably be his wife i guess um, you wonder. She's well, yeah, but she's probably yeah. enabled some behavior over time. I don't think she's a saint either. But how much of it is her being put upon for so long that she's checked out, right? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. It is hard to say. But and she know, gets the, put in that bathtub, boy. Woof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or in a bear, what a what a what a what a small subtle touch, but but in the moment would be so humiliating and infuriating. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a humiliation moment. It is. It is that. It, that's what it is. I mean, I felt so bad for her. Mm-hmm. at that moment and i thought and then, and I almost to the point where i was like okay i really hate this character mm-hmm. uh the dwyer is playing here and in some ways i still did but in some ways i found him charming that's the thing and it wasn't like a like a snake oil charm like there was an earnestness like a, a lovable loser i don't know yeah. well, well there's like a an innocence to his psycho- yes. sociopathic behavior i mean there's just like there's almost like this you know, I hate him, and at the same time, I feel bad for him. And it's yep. 
It, and I like when movies do that. I like when movies make me think that way because <clears throat> it's easy to say, oh, that person's a bad person. They should be put to death and blah, blah, blah. They did all these awful things. You know, that's that's your anger or your vengeance or whatever speaking. That you know, But in reality, it's still a human being. As I've often said in the past, he's still somebody's son, still somebody's husband, still somebody's dad. Uh, terrible things, uh, notwithstanding, they're still they still mean something to somebody, mm-hmm. and uh, it's always a kind of a tough thing to deal with. Um, of course, you know, <clears throat> sorry, we we never really see any other characters outside of Dwyer's life other than his boss, Takedis, and Mona and his wife, um, then the Anne, of course. But there's never really too many other characters outside of that, so it's a very insular story. It's very much a story caught up in kind of its own little world. And it's one of those things where for somebody like the DeWare character, for him, for Frank, that is also so detrimental. It's like the outside world, he, he's living in his own fantasy world. And like, you know, when the outside world kind of creeps in occasionally, like the Hell's Angel moment or something like that, like he doesn't even know how to process that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's still living in the Mona, I hate my wife, I hate my life kind of world. Yeah. So it's it's very you know it's, it's it's some scary stuff because this can happen to you know with timing and and whom you meet and how your life plays out this can happen to any one of us. It doesn't necessarily mean you know that we're all immune to this kind of thing. It can happen to any of us if desperation. I think what Thompson always did well is he always you know desperate characters doing desperate things, but they have a choice. They they have a choice to go one way or the other, and with Thompson stuff they tend to choose the wrong choice. And maybe yeah, that's just because Thompson, that's the way he believed. It's kind of like Cormac McCarthy or whatever. It's, you know, you either have a pessimistic view of human life or you have an optimistic view. And, uh, you know, Thompson obviously was more pessimistic. So um, <clears throat> I just want to, you know, I think I said so a little bit earlier, a little bit of Fassbender. I feel like Noe may have seen this film. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. don't know for sure, but I get a little bit of I Stand Alone here, a little bit. Not as. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice. No, not as not as hardcore as that. Not as no a as that. But uh, I get a little bit of that. I don't know if you guys got any of that. You know, pregnant wife. No, definitely. Yeah, pregnant wife. Blah blah blah. I mean, there's you know bad wallpaper. <laughs> there's well, there's certainly some elements that are similar here. <laughs> you know what they say: miserable wife, miserable life. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, uh, but there is there is some of that here. So if you're kind of into that kind of fastbender kind of no a aesthetic a little bit, it's a little bit here. Uh, yeah. Maybe not as pronounced, certainly not as exaggerated as No Way stuff, uh, and maybe not as transgressive as No Way and Fastbender could be, but transgressive enough, I think. And it's it's just really interesting, and it's another example that you don't need you don't need just pure heroes and do-gooders to tell a good story. Sometimes right. good stories can be told about bad characters, and it's up to the viewer. If you don't want to live in that world, that's fine, but you shouldn't. You know, I I feel bad for people who. <clears throat> rate movies because they make them feel miserable. This movie also made me feel miserable, but in a way that was kind of enlightening and refreshing. Um, and I really enjoyed that feeling. Uh, don't know what that says about me, but it sounds like well, I, you guys feel the same way. I, I think it speaks to our... Something I think we spoke about and we've spoken about over the years as friends and as, as armchair kind of film critics. Um, we don't... We, we were probably more self-righteous in our 20s. And I think this is a very adult film. It deals with yeah. nuance, morally, ethically, 
it, shades of gray and brown, as we said. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not there's no knight in shining armor here. There's someone who has delusions that they are and they're going to be, but the messy reality of human nature yeah. uh, sets in and we see the path that goes down, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's it too. I mean, you know, the, the scene, and I agree with Todd, it does really kind of come to a screeching halt a bit with the the extent of the drunk drinking scene. What I did like about yeah. the drinking scene is is a great, it is a, if it was shorter, it'd be perfect because it's a great example of idiots with uh, a, a substance that creates bad plans. Right, it's it just, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a great example of two people. You got a dullard, and you got a, a psychopath, a, a, a emerging psychopath. You mix alcohol into the mix, and desperation, and passion, and 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 want, and all these things, and you got a recipe for disaster. And you, they come up with this really bad plan. Obviously, the where's character is. He's he's setting he's he's basically knows he can manipulate this Takiti's character, and it, it it it's it's in some ways it's it's the well, all this plan is already set. It's kind yeah. of almost like watching yeah. just a, a trap get sprung really yeah. really slowly, and it's really uncomfortable because it just it's you got to live in the awfulness of that character for that twenty minutes because you know he's just taking advantage of some basically some moron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody who can't help themselves. Somebody who's also at the bottom of the barrel. And it's, again... He's even lower down than him. Yeah. Again, it's one of those human traits that we have where sometimes people that are at the at their most desperate, they find somebody even more desperate than them and manipulate them into doing something even more terrible. It's, it's, it's really that Thompson kind of ethos kind of really just... Very well told. That's all I'll say. But I'll kick it over to Will. I'll keep this one short. I really wanted to hear your guys' thoughts. This is, in a way, a bit of a cinematic Valentine for me, and we talk about that on the show when there's something that we've seen the two have, and you're always very excited to see how it lands because I think, well, we're a Venn diagram, a living, breathing trio of, you know, that makes up a Venn diagram of some sons playing with something clangy and metally in the background, clearly. Um, I just thought she was in an empty factory getting ready to have a boss battle. <laughs> And it's like he's playing like jack and balls on like a glass table out yeah. there or something. Um, <laughs> a, a, uh, um, I'll try to just uh, get through some stuff here. So we get the trench coat game, of course, uh, Burberry trench coat. And I love that opening because I think it really sets up the character well for yeah. this this fantasy that he allows himself to indulge in and I think one of the things you see throughout the film and I don't know how to quite um, verbalize it but I, I love the uh, no it must be it must be jumping on the table uh, as I love how you see throughout the film whether it's the boss or it's the wife or it's different characters thanks buddy love you uh music's on and they allow themselves these kind of flights of fancy or these daydreams with these song lyrics and kind of daydreaming about a a better life, a better way of being jet set and going to this part of the world and falling in love. And Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, the, the working class kind of poetry that allows them to dream bigger. Um, you can see it kind of woven throughout the film and I like that. Yep. Um, and we see that he, he thinks early on, he's a gunslinger. He's a, He's uh he's playing the saxophone. That might be, yeah. you know, the the sax is the instrument of the GGTMC. This might be the first time someone has air saxed oh, yeah. on our show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, you know, I, I want to say yes, but I don't think it Maybe. is. I, I think did, we've did had some air sacks. Gary Busey, did, Ari, did Gary uh, Busey he, air sacks? No, he he played a real sax. In the, oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> on the beach. The butthorn. Yeah. Well, he played the he played the sax on the beach, man. He went he went yeah. full tilt. You know, when you get the he sax, did. when you get a brass instrument out on the beach, you're really going full GGTMC at that point. You are because the, totally the are. sun hitting that brass, it's red hot. The it, only way that could have a more GGTMC is if he had a fishnet half shirt on while doing it. That's right. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, he still brought full tilt. Um, I I just but I love the. Like you said, I think I never really made the fast bender comparison before, but I think that's so bang on. It just the the crumbling kind of grime that these people are immersed in and surrounded by mm-hmm. the shabby way of the shabby life, not way of life. I don't because way of life almost makes it seem like it's an act of choice, whereas I don't think these people have much choice. Well, it's um, that it's that what you said too. It's that almost wanting another life thing. It seems like a lot of yeah. fast bender stuff is people stuck in whatever. Uh, even financial cycle they're stuck in, or poverty, or just middle middle class, or whatever. But they always want more. They don't really know how to get there. It's you know I don't know how to explain that otherwise. But I mean, there's definitely that sensibility there. That's what it felt like. Oh yeah, to me. yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Duarte has this really great kind of wiry intensity. Mm-hmm. It's funny how he can toggle like you guys had said. He can stop on a dime between almost like this. This rabbit with these eyes, these very tender in the next minute, he's going to have this, like, this coiled kind of wiry rage, um, which is great. And I think Trentignon puts in a really good performance. I think that, uh, as we'd said, I think she's used perfectly through the eyes of um, Doré's character. She reminds me a little bit of like a young Claudia Cardinal with the eyes um like when we see claudia no no or, or maybe her or even remember the actress that played um uh michael corleone's wife in sicily mm, i remember uh, yeah, yeah. Young, i remember Italian i don't remember her name i remember her but though you remember her and that's really it the, the dark eyes those expressive brown eyes um and how about this you know in america we play sade in France, they play Boney M. <laughs> that's uh, that was that's an interesting flex right there, man. Yeah. Dropping the Boney M for uh, to turn up the eroticism, but you know that that's they always turn left when we go right or vice versa. So that's cool. Um, it, it's it, another another actor I thought of too here. If they had have done sort of a competent American remake in the mid '80s, I would have loved to have seen a young Mickey Rourke in this. Yeah. Right. I feel like in Barfly era, Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Could have been. Could have been really interesting. Yeah, Mickey Rourke was a '70s actor that bled into the. You know, I mean, basically, he was an actor out of decade, really. Yes. Yes. Uh, which I think is why his career is such a weird career because I think you know, unfortunately, he came along when we kind of, as American filmmakers, we kind of stopped making those kind of movies. Which is a shame. He'll always be one of my favorites. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah he's, his his uh, psych, his psychosis, his personal psychosis. It really bleeds through in every performance he does, even in actual in terrible movies. There's some. Oh my God, there's some bad movies he's been in, but he's always interesting in them. <laughs> he is. Yeah. He always is. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of. Uh, yeah, I don't want to have a whole lot of notes beyond you guys touched on a lot of stuff just the end it's just this um inescapable kind of cosmic karmic 
dumb luck, Melvillian, Noari kind of, yeah, it just, some people are going to hate it. People like us are going to think oh, that makes perfect sense. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, yeah. so that's it. All right. MVTs, make or breaks. What you got, Todd? All righty. Uh, make a break for me. I'm going to go with the, uh, there's a scene in Frank's bathroom towards the end. Um, and I think, I don't. I obviously don't want to describe it, really, but uh, I think it's horrifying uh, for multiple reasons. Yeah, uh, and it clearly shows how far gone uh, the Frank character is. Um, so there's that. MVT is uh, is Duere. I don't. Know, I still don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but regardless, uh, he yeah. really gives. <laughs> and and you're the one who speaks French. Uh, so he really gives his all <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, he really gives his all to the performance. It really is uh, truly uh, a remarkable turn uh, from an actor, and certainly uh, a highlight of anybody's uh, resume. Uh, score for me is going to be a seven point five out of ten. Uh, the reason that this thing isn't higher up uh, for me is uh, simply because of that really long drinking scene. Uh, it really does kill the pace for me. Yeah. Um, like I said, not enough that the overall effect of the film is killed, but it really does. You do feel it yeah. uh, in that uh, in that moment, uh, and it really does kind of drain a bit of the life out of it. Yeah, it's so, a, it is a long drinking scene. Matter of fact, it's so long I couldn't tell if it was one day or two days or. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's three just, days. It just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. At, on. at some point, and then this a, one's sleeping, and then he's yeah. awake, and now I got a hangover, and now I'm yeah. drinking again. What? Yeah, well, at one point, Takiti's he's almost he's so drunk he's almost catatonic. Like yeah, I, I yeah, thought yeah. He, oh, yeah, I thought he was dead. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was too for a second. I, I think Dewar thought he was dead too. <laughs> there was a lot of bottles, a lot of bottles consumed. That's a lot of booze, man. I tell you, whew, man, I wouldn't, oh, I wouldn't want to be in that room. Four hound dear buddy. man, I would not want to be cleaning up that that's bathroom. Too that much, too much bathroom. drink. Yeah, too much drinking, too much bad wallpaper, and too much corduroy fabric in one room yeah. together. <laughs> It's a recipe for disaster with that open flame. I haven't worn cords in years. God. <laughs> uh, I just wore a corduroy jacket the other day. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. Do they have patches on the uh, it, on does. the it does. It does. It nice. does. Yes, it does. Yeah. I had to go to a little get-together and had to throw on a jacket, so I went the hipster routine, got the corduroy jacket. You went jacket. to GGTMC, man. Yeah, yeah. Only thing I messed up on, I should have wore just a turtleneck. I don't know why I didn't. Yeah, I wore a button. I wore a button. Yes. I wore a button-up shirt instead of a turtleneck. I should have went turtleneck. <laughs> Rookie mistake. You, you would look like Yves Montan with that turtleneck and corduroy jacket, man. With his beard right now, I'd probably look like one of the Hell's Angels in this movie here. <laughs> I haven't trimmed. Did you my... walk around the party kissing guys? Yeah, I haven't you trimmed. Should have went up. Yeah, grabbed the the host. I haven't trimmed my beard in a while, so my beard's at that level where the wind blows, it actually moves. <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> it's pretty pretty thick and flowing right now. Like you could get lost in that fucker right now. And actually, some some food did. I think I ate something the uh, back on Thursday. I found yesterday. So there you go. Nice. <laughs> it's one of those. Um, call it a flavor saver. <laughs> that's right. Uh, it's like that uh, redheaded character from Game of Thrones, right? That, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not quite that bushy, but we're heading that way. Uh, my MVT is also uh, Patrick Dewar, Dewarie, Dewarie. Uh No, he's really really good. I mean, it's it's one of those performances, man. It's like you know, if I had. Uh, say you know one of the best performances i've seen on film in quite some time this is one of them no doubt i mean it's it's amazing uh it's truly like some demons kind of coming to the forefront here and obviously this was a guy who was battling some stuff behind the scenes so 
rough stuff. And well, how do you say your name? Trentignon. Trentignon. There you go. I can never get that right. Right. It's funny. Both names. I always feel like I'm saying Trentignon wrong, but I know I'm saying it right. And do where I. Again, could be saying it right, Dewar, Dewaré. Yeah, I'm assuming that it's correct, but I, it feels correct. Too many E's and too many T's. Yeah, um, and a couple of I's sort of mixed in there. But no, uh, she's really good. Unfortunately, tragically, she was basically oh, killed. She, she was, had a really tragic. Uh, yeah, she married a rock star, got beat pretty bad, and ended up dying of a hemorrhage. Uh, so, so I think she was only 41, 40, 40 41. 40, yeah, she's in her early 40s. 41, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, Andres Katsoulis, who you guys, if you had, if you don't know who we're talking about, you've seen him and stuff. He did a lot of American character actor work as well. I think he was uh, in Babylon 5. Yeah, that's what his, uh, probably his main claim to fame is he was uh, an alien on that show that people mm-hmm. probably know. I, I never watched Babylon 5, so I don't know, but uh, he was beloved. Good show. Yeah, he was beloved on that show. I know that. Uh, him and uh, some other character on that show, is, uh, some people have said, is the best uh, one of the best TV relationships of all time. It's like uh, yeah, really? their camaraderie yeah. is one of the best of all time. Yeah, uh, I've never watched it, so I don't know. Uh, my favorite scene in the movie, my make or break for here, is there's a scene in the car that involves some uh, potential premature ejaculation. I think um, uh, that scene really works for me because there's a lot of quiet there, and there's a lot, there's a lot of moments where at this point Frank could walk away from this. Mm-hmm. And he decides not to, and it's all in his. It's all in his hands. That's the thing I think I find most interesting about the Frank Poupard character, is that all this shit is in his hands, and he has many moments where he can walk away from this and just keep living his life. But he can't. He's like so caught up in it and so obsessed with it, and it just. And that that scene I think is a great microcosm of all that. Um, and uh, my score for the movie is an eight, eight out of ten. I really loved it. It was really really good. Nice, very nice. Oh. Um, my make or break is the scene when he first meets uh, Mona, and like he, so he, you know, she seems a bit off, but then he goes up to her room and she drops her um, her trench coat or whatever she's wearing that little blazer, and she's nude, and he's standing there, and it's it's this very real moment where he's trying to do the right thing, but his human nature, he feels like he's gonna. He's going to be the white knight and it just it, it, it just puts the ball in his court for things to start turning a certain way and yeah. it's already set him up nicely as being this character who kind of fantasizes about being the hero and the gunslinger and the the poet and he can be all these things all at once um so that's my make or break mvt don't worry man i'm not going to get to give it to him much but i can't sing from the mountaintops enough what a special actor I think he is. Um, so he's he's the MVT for sure. Even though yeah, Trentino is great, and and Corno's direction is very. Um, he he trusts his audience to connect some dots that he doesn't bang you over the head with, um, which I like. Um, and my score is uh, just a little bit higher than both of yours, which I'm sure you probably could have expected. It's an eight point two five out of ten. Nice, nice, nice. Now I I I understand all that, and uh, I got to tell you, the. Um the idea of the choice, like the choices he makes. I mean, I, I think about that and I think about Thompson's writing and stuff and that everything's oh, a choice. Everything's a choice. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. sure there's many choices that all three of us have made in our life that we regret and there's some that we don't regret. So, mm-hmm. and some lead down bad paths, paths and some do not. So, unfortunately, well, this one yeah. kind of, this one's kind of in that, <laughs> this one, I don't know. I don't know. 
<laughs> not an easy answer really here. Uh, there's some bad stuff here, but I guess for the character itself, some good stuff as well. So. If you put yourself in the character's shoes, yeah, that's the hard thing sometimes. And I think that's something we can all get behind as film lovers is that, that the complexity of the decisions and the motivation consciously and subconsciously behind those decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, it's interesting. It's What's funny about Jim Thompson's writing is, um, you know, great writer. He's been featured on our show a number of times. Uh, interestingly, this is the second French adaptation of his work. Yep. That we've done on the show. Yep. Coup de Tonchon, which the really great and really underappreciated Philippe Noiré, tremendous actor, uh, that was on our show, right? Uh, as was the short with um, um, something Lake, China Lake, that we did with, uh, I think it's maybe a Midnight Ride or something with, uh, oh, what's his name? Charles Napier, Chuck Napier, right? He's, yeah. Thompson's uh, much loved in our circles for good reason. He, he yep. creates complicated, messy characters. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, and he translates well into all cultures, right? So, oh yeah, that's part of Big the reason time. why I think he he's always kind of had a really very long shelf life. Yep. Um, all right, that is our thoughts on uh, Siri Noir. We're we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and discuss Hiding Out from 1987. Ducky Derby. Ducky <laughs> on the show. We'll be back yeah, shortly. Hey man, I don't feel like going to school no more. Me neither. You can't make me go. Go ahead, daddy. Yeah. I ain't going to school. It's hard to get out of me. Well, listen, man, I ain't going to school no more. It's not much, much too early. All right, some stray cats, man. Yeah, back oh. when uh, being uh, a high school dropout was sexy and cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, that was a cool thing to do. Uh, not uh, not a not a high recommend uh, for me. <laughs> uh, I'd advise you to stay in school as long as you can. <laughs> and, Be cool. Uh, stay in school, kids. Yeah. Uh, because it will uh, help you in uh, in the future of your life. I promise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hated school too. I think everybody does in some way. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, there were some things I loved about school. I, I'm not gonna lie to you. There were some classes I absolutely loved. I think my problem was, and you might feel this way too, Todd. The things I loved, there wasn't enough of, and yeah. the things I hated, there was too much of. <laughs> yep. Uh, math, I hated, and there was too much of that shit. Yes, I'm not a big math and I, guy. And I understand it's very important. I get it. Blah blah blah. But uh, yeah, I hated it. But man, you get me in a <laughs> you get me in a history class or something. I'm I'm down for I'm down for days. So you know whatever. Teach throw them. 
Don't get me Indeed. started. <laughs> All right. So we're going to be talking about Hiding Out uh, from 1987. Uh, this is PG-13, which is pretty surprising. I think they need to go back and relook at this one. Because uh, <laughs> it felt a little violent for PG-13. Did it not feel that way to you? Uh, a little uh, bit. And, you know, that's... Uh yeah, the, the the violence in this is kind of um, yeah. There's a couple of f bombs too. I think this was, yeah. I think this is one of those ones where the rating board's like, yeah, we're not going to watch this again. I think it's a PG-13. Let's move on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're good with this one. Yeah. So uh, directed by Bob Giraldi again, uh, pretty famous music video director. Uh, obviously, the beaded video I mentioned, but that's uh, there's quite a few other videos in there, but that's probably one of the most influential ones easily. I would say that he he directed. Um, a stockbroker out on the run, uh, on the run from the mob, decides to hide out from them by enrolling as a student in high school. Uh, this stars John Cryer, Keith Coogan, who uh, is quite the character actor, uh, uh, especially from a certain era. You heard Will mention him in Adventures in Babysitting, but he's probably most infamously known as Styles from Teen Wolf. I think would be his most popular role. Probably. Was he Styles? Yeah, he was Styles. No. Yeah, man, it's Styles. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. These, talk about a chameleon. <laughs> I'm about 100%. I'm going to look now. He's still working. I'm looking right now because I don't think he is. I think he is Styles, isn't he? Isn't he Styles? No. He's got to be Styles. He's Styles. He's not Styles. He's not Styles. I'm looking he's, now. He's, I was going to, because I was going to bring it up that he reminds me of the guy who played Styles. Oh, man. In Teen Wolf. Oh, man. But he is not. <laughs> Call he is my, not, in fact, Styles. Oh my God, he's so Styles-like. I know, right? <laughs> so to the point to where I was absolutely convinced he's Styles. That was Jerry Levine, yeah. Styles, Man. Rupert Styles, Stalinsky. Man, Jerry Levine and Keith Coogan doppelgangers. Yeah, they could. They were separated at birth. Oh my God, I, I've, I've had a mind-blowing <laughs> moment here on the GGTMC. <laughs> A revelation. Yeah, one of those moments where you're like, oh, yeah, man. As soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy in Teen Wolf. I loved him in Teen Wolf. Yep. Uh, grandson of Jackie yeah. Coogan, uh, good old uh, Keith Coogan. So got some uh, lineage in his career. Uh, anyway, he either way, he is very uh, known for a certain era of films. Uh, he was in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, Adventures in Babysitting, yep. this. Um, there's a couple others I can't think. I'm looking through his filmography now. Um but he's still he's still working, um, still out there, still a lot of TV. Looks like he did a lot of TV. Probably a lot of TV we grew up on, I'd imagine. Laverne and Shirley, The Waltons, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Eight is enough. A lot of that stuff. Looks like he's, he's in The Fox and the Hound. <clears throat> yeah, I know. I saw huh. that. He's in Toy Soldiers, which I kind of enjoy. Played Snuffy Bradbury in that. What a great name. <laughs> Book of Love, which is a kind of a teen rom com that I enjoy. He's in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it looks like he's uh, mostly in TV nowadays. Um, but still working. He's in the Jane Jay and Silent Bob reboot as Keith Coogan. So obviously Keith uh, or Kevin Smith's a big fan of Keith Coogan. If he cast him as Keith Coogan in Jane and Silent Bob reboot, so which that movie looks painful. Ooh, Kevin Smith, what happened? Ah, uh, that's a story for another day, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so you picked this one. Uh, Will's kind of busy right now uh, off mic. That's why you haven't heard him kind of chime in. He would have called me out on that, too, because I know he's a pretty big Teen Wolf fan. Man, I can't believe that. <laughs> I am, I'm, like, so blown away right now. Yeah. Like, it's like one of those moments, man. It's like Will's moment last week when he found out Guy Ritchie directed Aladdin. <laughs> it's like, you know, you know that Knock me over blown. with a feather. Yeah. 
All right, so Hiding Out, directed by Bob Giraldi. So I, I had uh, thought I had seen this, but it's the other one. I think I talked about this a little week that I remember John Cryer from the same year. And I believe that's Morgan Stewart Comes Home or something like that. Yeah, Morgan Stewart's Coming Home. Yeah. yeah. Which I believe, I can't remember who it was directed by, but I remember the director really hated what they did with it. And, I, and that was one of my first Alan Smithy films, Morgan Stewart Coming Home or whatever it was called. So it's better than that. Um, I'd like for us to cover it at some point because it's, it deals with kind of like a horror kid. And I think we were all horror kids, right? So anyway, uh, so this movie kind of opens up. And the first thing you think to yourself is, I don't think John Cryer can grow his own beard yet. Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's the, my very first note is that you know, giving John Cryer a beard doesn't really make him look older. No. Um, oh man. You know? that, that that beard is like the the William T. Riker. Uh, <laughs> geez, that, Ex- that beard except was, fake. Yeah, I mean it's it's so fake. It's like um, yeah, yeah. Riker and who is the other person I thought of with that beard? It's like uh, oh man, you know who he looks like? Like the baby brother of Kenny Loggins. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or nice. Michael McDonald. Or Michael McDonald, yeah. That beard, jeez. So we had a more. Mor- actually, Rick Moranis would probably be closer. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely got Rick Moranis' hairstyle going on here a little bit. From, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, like big Like Streets yeah. of Fire and stuff like that and the, the, the blazer. I, I've always had a soft spot for the Duckster. Yeah, uh, no, I know you have. You know, John, yeah. Cryer, John Cryer, he's always seemed like a just a genuinely nice guy. Yeah. Yep, yeah, no, I agree. He, oh, yeah. he has that way about him, yeah. you know. No, he's, uh, he's, he's got a natural charm. He's got a natural kind of comedic timing that's uh, yeah, pretty good. yeah. I'm not the biggest John Cryer fan. Um, he Fair just enough. just doesn't do much for me. But I, I'll fully admit that uh, he's very likable. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, my wife even, you know, we we watched uh, Two and a Half Men for a little while when it first came out, and I remember thinking, man, you know, John Cryer's really made a career out of this kind of put upon, kind of schlubby, not you know, always making a bad decision type of character. He's yeah. always he's really made a career out of that, and. Uh, you know, he he just he has really good comic timing. He really is a good comedic actor, and a pretty good actor overall. <clears throat> I know he's playing. The, I think he's playing Lex Luthor on the Supergirl series now. Yes, really. So yeah, yeah. so he's uh, bald headed nowadays, and and uh, from what I understand, he's doing a really good job. Like, uh, which isn't surprising. I think sometimes comedic actors playing heavies really works because they're going you know against type, right? So. Yep. So will we had kind of a breakthrough, a psychological breakthrough for me while you were gone. <laughs> And then I thought that Keith Coogan was Styles from Teen Wolf. And, oh man! And then realizing that that actor and Keith Coogan are two different people kind of blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They totally are. And it's funny. I mentioned to Ta. Was it? No, I'm thinking Rick. Was it you and I were talking about? Maybe Coogan, or was it you and I talked about how Coogan's Adventures in Babysitting? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, we, what yeah. we were just talking about it on the show this morning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we yeah, were talking about right. it, and he's kind of a part of a, a certain era of filmmaking. He kind of where guys played bleed them. together a little bit. Yeah, and certainly he bled together for me because I'm I was convinced he was Styles. So, well, if it makes you feel any better, and I'm sure I've admitted it on the air over the decade plus, the decade of decadence, thereby <laughs> that. Uh, for the longest time, even though their names are spelled differently, uh, I always thought that uh, Malcolm McDowell and Roddy McDowell were brothers. No, yeah. well, so. there you go. There you go. <laughs> so, well, there you go. You know, that's yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it, I mean, it is one of those things, but it's kind of British fun. McDowell. You know, their names are spelled differently, but hey, there's yeah. a lot of moments on the show in the past where I've been like, really, really, but this one this morning, Keith Coogan and the actor that plays. Uh, Styles, who I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Todd mentioned it earlier. Um, not the same person, 
blows my mind. Blows my mind. What was Styles' T-shirt? What did it say? What are you looking at? Dick nose or something? No, yeah, he, he always had funny T-shirts, right? And and Styles he was, was he was a wacky character. Yeah, he's one of my <laughs> from all those wacky movies of that era. He's one of my favorite characters because he's like the antithesis of the wacky character, the wacky sidekick. Yeah. Right? You know, oh he's, yeah. He's like one of my favorites. So uh, anyway, neither here nor there. We're moving on. Uh, Annabeth Gish is in here as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, I've always had kind of mixed emotions about her. I sometimes think she's gorgeous. Sometimes I think she's not. Mm-hmm. Weird kind of feeling, but uh, I like her in this movie a lot. She's got an all natural look. It's really nice. Well, she really yeah. does. She really does. Uh, she really does pull off, and appropriately so, since I think she was around the, the age of the character, uh, if not just a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Uh, she really does pull off that high school girl next door yeah. uh, thing in this. Yeah, the innocence. Yeah, she really. She just has a natural way about her. She's quite good in the film, and what's ironic looking at her filmography because she's someone that the name felt more familiar than the face to me. Yeah. Um, it's funny because in the movie in a sort of meta cinematic irony, she writes that essay about Nixon and then she starred as Julie Nixon Eisenhower in the Nixon film in 95. <laughs> yeah, I know it. It's crazy. How about that for Kismet? Well, I think yeah. uh, Gish, I think she's, she's Hollywood royalty and I think Coogan is as well. So right? yeah, man, I think they're grand, yeah. I think they're grandchildren of, uh, famous hollywood actors right so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there we uh, there we go so that's kind of an interesting thing as well and then i don't think mm-hmm. john cryer is but this john cryer's mom does play the uh his aunt in this um that is john oh Cryer. really yeah that's john cryer's mom eh? yeah that's his mom yeah who plays uh, keith coogan's mom but it's his uh aunt but that is his mom yes gretchen cry wow i didn't even yep. see that in the credits that's crazy <laughs> yeah so it, it, it this you know, I think one of the things I take away from this movie right from the get-go, first of all, it's shot by Daniel Pearl, too, which is uh, that's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre DP. Um, really? Yeah, and it looks really nice. Uh, the One of the things I take away from this movie is the movie is a high-concept movie and everything, but it's yeah. actually well-acted by everybody involved. Uh, it is. Mm-hmm. It's solid. I, ne- I, never really, it is. I never really felt like anybody was overdoing it or you know going for laughs when they needed to go for laughs. Everything kind of felt... For the concept it's playing in, everything kind of felt on point, really. Agreed. And, and it, it I was didn't kind of surprised feel, by that. Yeah, I think it's it's very of its time. Like Giraldi, uh, I look back at his filmography and it's like, wow. So he directed so many iconic music videos. And yeah. it feels very much of the time. And I don't mean to say it sounds dated. It just it feels like it encapsulates that era well. But I also was taken by how well every performance was it, it yeah. you know sometimes you see stuff like this and high concept means low um low quality in terms of performance like it's it becomes there's there's a thought put into a high concept notion of what the film should be but yeah. the execution is very lazy and half-assed whereas yeah everyone commits and everyone's good and believable in their roles yeah yeah well it's, it, i mean yeah the plot the plot is really really uh it's really really basic um, yeah. And it could even be like a film. It, this could even be a film noir. It just adds in the high school angle and all of the teen hipness, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the characters, I think the characters are 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 colorful, and you know, kind of their their um, their interactions are mostly light and fun. Uh, but that's not to say that they're necessarily believable. This movie kind of is one of those things of that course. it lives in that uh, yeah in that same teens through the an, an adult uh, lens that we've seen you know since forever. Right. Um, right. You know, I, I, and I don't know that I'd want to see an actual teen's perspective on this anyway, so. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, I agree. It, it, that that was just what struck me though, because I expected you know there to be the boyfriend who's out to get John Cryer. Right. The, you know, the, and it kind of is, but it, it kind of is, but they give him a little bit of depth. They give him a little they bit do. of depth, and they they kind of change the character up. Like the character really wants to be successful in his life. Like he's yeah. not just a yeah. a pompous, good looking kid. He's a kid that wants to be the best student he can be, and he's got some like morals. Because I think that at one point the Nancy Fish character, that actress. The place yeah. that you know she's going to fix the election, right? And well, she's she's the real villain, right? Yeah, she's she the real that, villain, right? Yeah, she has that Cloris nah. Leach to her. Oh yeah, exactly. What Sadie said there. Sadie right? yeah. wholeheartedly agrees with uh, that uh, that mega teacher. And yeah. What, what, well, I still uh, you know I still quote uh, the Coogan character in regards to her uh, when he calls her a scum sucking fascist Ayatollah. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, you know she looks like the actress that was in May. You remember that horror movie May? Yeah. She's like the, uh, she's like the Anna, mother of May. Anna, Oh God! Well, Nancy Fish, she's made a career out of playing uh, despicable wasp-like characters. Yeah. Oh, she totally has. Yeah, she is. <laughs> she has made a big-time career out of that, playing teachers that everybody hates, or playing terrible nurses, or you name it, man. You look through her filmography, and you'll see a ton of those kind of characters. I mean, she has made a career out of playing these—I don't know, for lack of a better word—these kind of cold. Uh, ugly kind of characters. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, she does a good job here uh, as, as as a terrible character. We're getting squeaky, squeaky. As uh, and you know, <laughs> she had to find that toy now, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we get a lot of fun character actors in here as well. Yep. Uh, Richard Portnow is in here. Uh, Joy Behar is in here, which I'm not a Joy Behar fan, but I didn't even know she was, was in she here. Really. Yeah, yeah she she's the, the uh, diner. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes. John Spencer's in here, though. One of my favorite character actors. I love John Spencer. Oh, yeah. He yeah. plays uh, Bakey, the, uh, one of the cops who uh, kind of tried to help him. And, the uh, late great. Yeah, the late great John Spencer. He was great, man. I always loved John Spencer. Uh, Oliver not Cotton, of Blues Explosion fame. No, not, of, <laughs> not that one. Not that John Spencer, no. Uh, Oliver Cotton plays the killer in this. Uh, he's got kind of a memorable face. He's been in some other stuff. Uh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but he does have a very memorable face. And I was telling Todd, this movie's rated PG-13, but man, this movie's a little... I, I mean, if you went back through the board, I think you'd find this movie's a little hardcore in some ways. There's some blood yeah, splatter. Yeah. There's a... Uh, I mean, I'm not going to give anything away. Pretty, yeah, yeah, there's there's a scene of somebody hitting the ground pretty hard Yeah, uh, yeah in yeah. front of some children that I thought was kind of surprising. Uh uh, you know, just just some moments. It's it's kind of like in that in between phase, right? This is eighty seven, so it's kind of like that in between phase, and we don't know what the amount of violence kids under the age of thirteen should be able to see or not, uh, or above the age of thirteen should be able to see or not. But uh, you know, I just found it kind of surprising because nowadays, you know, PG thirteen means a lot of gunfire, but it doesn't necessarily mean any blood. Uh, but this one, you get some blood, so pretty nasty. In the credits, also, there is a character. Uh, I believe a real person, right? Uh, or maybe a character name. Nikki Hammerhead is in there. Yeah, it's a real person. <laughs> name. Plays the uh, gra- on, plays man. the garage attendant. And his name is Nikki Hammerhead. Unfortunately, he passed away at the Nikki. age of thirty-two. I don't know what. Oh well, I'm I'm sorry about that. Then. Yeah, That's... yeah. I mean, he only did three things, and his name was Nikki Hammerhead. So chances are, I mean, he might have been running with the wrong crowd. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's one of those well, things. Well, there's also Lamon Spain Hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is, so, yeah, exactly. There's some strange, some strange in Lamon. Who, who names their kid Lamon? I mean, come on. It's got to be a family name. It's just got to be. 
Uh, Low moan spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, some of the casting is by Martha Spainauer. So there we go. Mm. Maybe that's where Lamone comes from. Yeah. Nepotism alive and well in that industry. Imagine that. <laughs> yes, the circle is exactly. complete. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so our characters kind of get set up, and uh, they're kind of messing with. This is the '80s, so they're kind of messing with investments. They kind of get involved with the mob guy. Yeah. Some things kind of go sideways. Some violence ensues, and now our character has to hide out. And he decides because he does have youthful looks, John Cryer. <laughs> To go back to high school, he kind of happens upon it by accident. He shaves. By the way, that convenience store, uh, yeah, does he not have to pay for anything? It's a very odd moment. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I feel like that convenience store is a very strange moment. They're just kind of watching him. He's kind of watching them. He goes in, shaves, and everything, and comes out. And I don't ever saw him pay for anything, but whatever. That, that's such a convention where, like, someone, oh, this dog, <laughs> she takes, you know, they'll go in with the hair dye and. They'll dye their hair and cut their hair in like the. I think even Richard Kimball does that in, or does he do it at his apartment? Yeah, I don't remember. No, he, but he does it. That's such a convention though. of film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Seems like we just did a film where somebody just did that recently. That's a bad idea, man. Yeah. Like to cut your own hair. Yeah. Well, he does. Well, the John Cryer, obviously, in movie in movie fashion, he comes out with a pretty nice kind of half dye. Even the yeah. yeah, he does a pretty good job, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he kind of shows up at school. He kind of ends up there because he's trying to get a light for a cigarette, and he kind of just walks in, and then we, we kind of move from there and move on. And he's kind of like a, almost like a hunchback of Notre Dame character in this school in a weird way. Not not that he has any kind of legend to him or not, but he kind of lives in the school uh, while nobody's in the school, kind of makes friends with the janitor and Xboxer, and there's some kind of nice camaraderie moments there. Again, well-acted moments. Uh, I think, you know, out of everything, the movie looks nice and the acting is well done. It's just kind of caught up. Obviously, it's it's a fantasy, and I get that. But it, it's one of those things where you start to question some of the logic of some of the things that are going down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, if you, you could go all the way back to, I mean, from the very beginning, you know, the goons, the FBI agents, everyone looks like what they are almost in comic book fashion. So it's a really kind of... It's really kind of uh, how do I want to say it? Like visually obvious, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, you know, plot follows uh, sort of way of just kind of moving this thing along. Right, right. You know, and, and Cryer never was really. I mean, I guess he was for some. The Ducky character was that was Pretty in Pink before this or the same year? Uh, I think before Pretty I in Pink like. was uh, before this was eighty six. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I mean he had he had some uh, female fans that loved him for that uh ducky character and stuff and so I think they were kind of playing on the cuteness of uh Cryer at this point. Um he made this movie and like I said he made I think four films in 87. And yeah. uh, so he was kind of hot for a moment. He wasn't really part of the Brat Pack, but he kind of was part of the Brat Pack. It was kind of like it was kind of like Andrew McCarthy in a weird way, kind of that kind of outside Brat Pack kind of actor. Does that make sense? I, uh, I yeah. Well, he was totally. he was he was associated with them, but he wasn't really yeah. Of yeah. Well, I think it was kind of it was kind of um, uh, six degrees of uh, Molly Ringwald. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, 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 probably, probably. Yeah, well, that the John Hughes connection, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he's yeah, kind of yeah. mixed into all that, but he never really was in those. Like he's not in Saint Elmo's Fire that I recall, and he's not uh, so. not in the Outsiders. I don't recall nope. him in that. Nope. And uh, and I'm not real familiar with his filmography again because it's not, he's not somebody I pursue. If he's in something, I'm fine with that. But he just, you know, I've watched a few films of his when I was younger and just he never really kind of caught on with me. So in his career, you know, I, I remember those two films. I, well, I remember this film. I never saw it until this week. 
But I remember this movie, and I remember Morgan Stewart comes home uh, vividly. And Morgan Stewart was on cable quite a bit, so that's the one I remember the most coming home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh that's right. He was in Dude, so obviously that was a very big uh, cult movie. Not a great film, by the way, but yeah. um, there is that. And I'm looking through his filmography now to kind of see if there's anything else that really kind of jumps out at me. But he's just kind of made kind of a pretty good career of himself. I, mean, I guess, you know, he's just kind of made a – solid career out of just working really nothing really jumps out i guess two and a half men now that it's been on the air for 17 years um, wow <laughs> 17 years <laughs> that's what it says it says it started in 2003 is that accurate <laughs> oh my Come god good lord oh my god has it been on tv that long I mean, Can't be. oh my god i feel i old. hope not i mean it's quite possible I mean, it's very, very much quite possible. My God. I'm looking. Years. I'm looking at years. Oh, my God. I feel I feel so old right now. <laughs> and, like, so oblivious to what's going on in the world, you know? <laughs> I, oh, yeah. No, 2000. Looks like, it looks like, oh, no, the pilot was shot in 2000, you know? 2003, man. 2003. That was when it debuted. It's only 17. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> man, I don't. Wow. Where'd that time go, dude? Good Jesus God. Christ. Anyway, bravo to him. He's he's got. You know, he's gonna have cash flowing into his pocket for the rest of his life, like Seinfeld. You know. Yeah. I mean, that yeah, thing's yeah. In, that thing's in syndication. It'll run forever. Um, it does, and it, it's on like every channel I watch. Yeah, I'm, flipping I'm channels. not a fan, but I'm hey. not a fan either. I mean, we watched like I said. No, the, I'm not. We watched like the first couple of seasons of it, and uh, it was it was fair, uh, easy breezy entertainment, but it wasn't, uh, you know, nothing I stuck with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was back no, when my wife no. and I we didn't have kids, and we watched television pretty much every night together. <laughs> we don't. There's not a lot of that anymore. So um, anyway, uh, yeah. So I just never really kind of followed his career, and never really kind of got behind stuff. So. But I enjoyed this one, mostly, mainly, mostly. There we go, because of, like I said before, the uh, the reality of the acting. It never really, outside of the kind of cartoonish bad guys and the cartoonish cops a little bit, it never really feels too unrealistic for the universe it's living in. No. and uh, that kind of works to its advantage quite a bit, and and makes it kind of play out. Like I really was kind of like uh, I was of this thought that i mean i'm gonna watch some kind of groan inducing humor and uh from that era and all that kind of stuff but it wasn't the case it, it all kind of worked out i gotta say the the uh we gotta kind of we gotta touch on this even though uh, i don't well maybe we don't have to touch on it but let's just be realistic about it there is a you know in a situation where we have adult who's just freshly out of high school uh who's had a working career and he's kind of fallen for a a teenage girl a senior um, probably 17 years of age, uh, going back to the 17 joke, uh, at least 17, I would think, uh, possibly 18. Um, uh, but it is that kind of uncomfortable kind of, there's a couple moments where, you know, I had those moments, right. Where I kind of thought to myself, eh. well, yeah, you know, of well, first of all, okay. So they, they have their little, their little meat cute, right. Mm-hmm. And the meat cute here is it, it feels appropriately awkward. Like it feels like, yeah. Something that would have actually happened in high school. And I think that, you know, part of why 
the relationship works in this film is because it plays to the age difference as Andrew is kind of getting used to the idea of starting over. Yeah. Um, even though there's no real indication, you know, that his life before was horrible, you know, the Capitos character notwithstanding, right? Yeah. Um, and and the uh, the the Kukin character even brings up statutory rape. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he does. But the writers, <laughs> the writers write their way around it, uh-huh. and it's never the, the the relationship is never yeah overtly sexual. No, it's no. never based on sex. No, Geraldine, it's very sweet and yeah, right. It's very it's very gentlemanly. innocent. It's very yeah, it's yeah. very uh, courtly. It's one say. it's one yes. of those things. Yeah, it's one of those things where it starts out uncomfortable, kind of uneasy, yeah. and then the writers and the director, we should say, Bob Geraldi, they find a way to make it reasonable and it makes sense without becoming off as a total creep show like our previous film so sure, sure. so it, and, it works out but it is there is that meet cute is you you're right when you say awkward there's not only the awkwardness of two people meeting each other and getting to know each other and kind of falling for each other but there's that awkwardness too of society nowadays of you of you kind of push you're kind of putting that awkwardness on the thing right I'm not yeah, saying it's, yeah, yeah. it was inherently there in '87. Nobody was really talking about that as much, but in in 2000 or 20, we, obviously, you know, your your mind immediately goes to dark places, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just you know the kind of way that the world works. But it, no, they they handled it I think as as professionally as you could, and I think it's handled well. And actually, one of my favorite things about this movie is the Crier Gish relationship. It feels movie real but also a little bit real yeah well because both of them are starting to think about what are they going to do after yeah they leave here yeah after this is all done yeah you know are they gonna you know remain together are they gonna you know are they gonna who's gonna go this way who's gonna go that way yeah it's a thing that you know couples kind of deal with yeah. when they're you know leaving high school and getting out into the quote-unquote real world yeah and i mean if you put too much thought into it i mean you think to yourself okay well eventually you know well i won't say anything i don't want to spoil the movie but yeah, yeah. You know what Cryer's character ends up doing at the end of the film. You know it's like you know this person you're going to start a relationship with. You know got to you know I mean I'm not going to say got away with something, but you know they have that in their life for the rest of their life, right? This kind of traumatic accident. Again, it's living in the world of this movie. I'm I'm putting too much real world thought into this, and I apologize for that. But sometimes it's kind of fun to take the real world and throw it into these kind of fantasy movies because sure. Obviously, none of this stuff would probably transpire the way it transpires in this movie. No. Uh, so it's 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 kind of fun to kind of do that sometimes. But uh, I'm not taking it too seriously. Let's make sure we got that. But so we get a Suzuki Samurai in this movie. Nice to see the yeah. good old Suzuki Samurai coming back. That famous car of tipping over fame. Uh, oh yeah. Man, I remember I, I, when those came out. Man, that's not what I named myself after. Although I wonder, uh, I wonder now if uh, inherently. But when those hit, those hit right around the time I was 14, 15, 16, man, I wanted one of those, man. I wanted one bad. You're yeah. Samurai, he's yeah. PT Cruiser, and I'm Pinto. <laughs> <laughs> there had to be a car, though. Now, you say Pinto, but there had oh. to be a car that you wanted badly when you turned of driving age, Will. Was there a car? I want, no, yes, okay. I, wanted, I thought Fieros were so cool. Oh, there you go. So you're the Fiero. Todd, was there one for you? Because even if you don't love cars, everybody goes through. I want a cool car. Phase. I think I think that it would have probably been uh, a Stingray, just based on the TV show. Oh, nice, 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 nice pull there. For me, oddly, it was a boxy ass Suzuki Samurai. 
Uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously, my favorite car of all time, still my favorite car of all time, is a 1977 black and gold Bandit Trans Am. Uh, that's, that, wrong with that. that's that's my favorite of all time. Always has been. But uh, that Suzuki Samurai, I remember vividly because I remember thinking, my mom and dad could probably afford this. Uh, I could take the top off. Uh, You know, uh, girls like that kind of thing. You know, and I'm I'm, I almost had another joke about tops off there, but I'm going to leave it be because now we live in a different time now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You get the top off the car. Hey, you know, top off. You know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, Anyway, uh, you know, me bottoms off. You know what I'm saying. Uh, The uh, it's uh, (laughs) a. But I did have, you know, I was younger, slender, a little bit more muscular back then. I did have this image of me driving. I had long flowing hair. I did have this image of me driving, the hair flowing in the wind, nice and tanned and glistened, top off in the Suzuki Samurai. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. There's there's a meme out there for that. Yeah, there's a meme. I was GGTMC before it was a thing, bro. Yeah, man. That's amazing. Had had an ear cuff in my left ear. I mean, I was. Oh, no doubt. Shark tooth. Was yeah, the puka shells and the shark tooth were wet with sweat. It was uh, I was there, man. Have my moccasins on and my fucking frosted jeans. I was going down, bro. Kip Winger, eat your heart out. That's right. I was only 17. (laughs) Hey, man, it was a different time, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway, uh, maybe maybe I did name myself after the car. Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe it has more to do with me psychologically than I realize. If that's the case, then this show is hosted by Samurai Fierro and Stingray. <laughs> Should have named ourselves after the cars we love. At least none of us were into the Countach. Well, I <laughs> or the uh, yeah. yeah, the and the Countach was a hot one, man. It was, but I've all every time I hear that word, I you know what I think of. Oh yeah, <laughs> can, <Shaky pudding? laughs> yeah. can anybody say the word "kuntosh" and not make not make a smirk? I mean, come on. <laughs> it sounds like exactly what it probably was meant to be: white powder. What and, it was meant to acquire. Yeah, white powder and poontang. <laughs> those two things. Put yeah. those two words together, and you get kuntosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. So we get another movie where somebody with glasses gets them removed and can't see anything within two inches of their face. Yeah, uh, Todd, yeah. Todd and I talked about this with Killer of Dolls. I mean, uh, I, I wear glasses for all intents and purposes. I'm legally blind without them. But I got to say, uh, I can still read and see things within, you know, 20 feet. I can't read, maybe. But within 20 feet, I can kind of tell who's around. You know, I'm not. <laughs> uh, and, I, you know, I mean, I got some bad eyes. So, I mean, uh, I, I'm amazed when people pull that trick in movies. So we get that here oh, in the Suzuki Samurai, actually. In that scene, we get that, that right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That happens in uh, Adventures in Babysitting as well. Oh, that's right. So that was a, that was a joke of the time, right? That, that was, was the, yeah. Take the glasses off. You can get away with murder. You can get away with feeling somebody up or who knows what else. Uh, but God, got to say, it always drives me a bit crazy as a glasses-wearing individual. Oh, um, that, that, Those scenes are kind of fun, too. The Coogan... The Coogan trying to get laid scenes are kind of fun. They're very awkward, and they're not full tilt. They're not rapey. Uh, no, that's no, probably the best no, word. Not at all. Because a not lot, I've thought about this a lot as I've gotten older, and obviously the time we live in now. But a lot of those movies I loved growing up, they're very rapey. Uh, it's it's kind of sad. I mean, obviously, it's you know it wasn't it probably intended to be that way at the time. It was a cultural thing. And you know, I still love them for what they are. But if you do go back and watch them, they are. <laughs> I mean, 
you know, Jennifer Jason Lee loses her virginity to an older man in a dugout at a beach in Fast Times yep. Ridge My High. Well, there's, there's nothing look cool at, about that. No, it's such a it's miserable. And look at how we talked about this on the air. Look how absolutely like repulsive by today's standards, Revenge of the Nerds is. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, racist. It's gross. I mean, it, it is just <laughs> repulsive across the board. Yeah, it's right? gross. Misogynist, and it was just racist, a beloved like, film from all of our childhoods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Misogynistic. But again, I mean, yeah, but again, it was a cultural yeah. thing, and you know, we can talk about this for hours and make these arguments. Yeah. But it was a cultural thing, and it was the culture at the time. And you know, we've moved mm-hmm. on from that. Bravo. You know, we'll keep going yep. on. So, but I can still appreciate, yep. and I know you guys can as well. <laughs> Uh, you know, Revenge of the Nerds for what it was, right? I mean, sure. for that yeah. moment in time, it was what it was. Uh, yeah. Would be course. interesting to talk about some, to review some of those movies would be interesting now. <laughs> to, you to, know what? Yeah. <laughs> it, it would be, and it, but it would be such a, I think, a needless tightrope walk for us because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's apparent to anyone that knows us what we're all about. And yeah. we would have yeah, to yeah. say that about 10 times in the review for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for fear of whatever, but yeah, I've, it's I've just, had yeah, thoughts just, about it recently because I know hot dog. The movie is coming out on Blu-ray and I've had, <laughs> oh, nice. I've, I've had thoughts about it. That's, that's a ski one, right? Yeah. That's a ski yeah. one. And yeah. it, it, it's a bit rapey and awkward too. So, uh, anyway, got David Naughton in it. American werewolf, David Naughton in it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's awkward to say the least. <laughs> Naughton in a ski movie, man. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. They know he was in that. Yeah. Um, then again, I wasn't looking for David Naughton back in the 80s. Yeah, 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 you probably weren't. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I really don't have a whole lot more to add. There's there's a bit of a strange finale, again, for the time it's yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, it's a weird movie, again, for today's political climate. But again, it's it, it works fine. I think what I came away from this movie was, I didn't love it, but I found it quite kind of charming and kind of breezy. Mm-hmm. And it kind of had that kind of old school, almost kind of like screwball comedy aesthetic that I kind of like from, you know, like maybe this is going too far, but kind of like a Doris Day Rock Hudson movie or something. You know what I mean? Sure. Kind of like a kind of of a playful. uh, Yeah. 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 And I I kind of enjoyed that because it was really nice. I watched this and then I watched Siri Noir and this kind of is like a piece of bubble gum and Siri Noir is like chewing somebody else's bubble gum. (laughs) It's like a French fry off the bathroom floor. Oh, yeah. Ooh, man. Was that ketchup? I don't know. <laughs> that wasn't Nutella. <laughs> Ooh. That, and that ate a bean sprout, dear that, that poutine, dear Ooh. <laughs> that ain't gravy, I know. man. Uh, that might be puntash. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, amazing man! <laughs> that would oh, de- that would definitely be our car right there. Like we guys can yeah. design a car. Like we got to call yeah, it Puntash. <laughs> you know that 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 uh, would have uh, hot dog grit in it too, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I often think there's a there's a local comedy oh. show down here, and they got a song about hot dog water and oh. uh, about drinking the hot dog water, and they got a whole bit about oh. it. And I often think about Speaking that, of Fred Durst. Yeah, that cloudy hot dog water is oh, oh so <laughs> I used to love being somewhere where someone just boiled a big pot of hot dog. I mean I wouldn't it would I couldn't help myself. I'd always say to the nearest person to me, Hey, how much do I have to pay you to drink that pot of water? <laughs> yeah. Who wants to drink the processed meat stewed water? Please. 
That's, oh, God. Todd's not That's laughing so because he knows that they use that to make yeah. the scrapple. So he's not the scrapple. He's, that's scrapple he's, juice, man. He's taking everything pretty. Per- he's taking it all pretty personal right now. He is, man. Still he is. Yeah, yeah, no pun intended, yeah. man. Yeah, right. Wait for wait for Suzuki's new car, the Scrapple Puntash. <laughs> I told everybody there'd be lots of new recipes yeah. this year. That's a scrapple puntash. Uh, we got to figure out what that is, but we well, got to. <laughs> I think you know the reason that it comes with a scrapple hot plate uh, in, in the console, right? Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm loving it. <laughs> that Alexa access yeah. for that recipe video. <laughs> Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> We're so childish. Uh, anyway, but no, that, yeah. that that's what I kind of came away with. I kind of came away with you no, know, like only a slight interest in seeing this, but I kind of came away really kind of enticed by it, and it really kind of made me feel good in a weird way. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, moments of crazy violence aside, it's a, it's an interesting movie in a weird way. It's nothing new, right? It's nothing new, but it's no, it's kind of fun. Well, this is, you Same. know. Well, go ahead, uh, Will. Sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Todd. Go ahead, Todd. I cut you guys off. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that I've always liked both this and plain clothes. Uh, mm. And I really make no bones about it. You know, they're kind of the, the same basic idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of movies like this I enjoy. I can't think of them all off the top of my head, obviously, but there's a lot of movies like this I kind of enjoy. Fish Out of Water. Not, not, well, not so much Fish Out of Water. That's kind of a different aesthetic, but. You know, some character trying to be somebody he's not, and kind of discovering himself in the process. It's, yeah. it, it's kind of a it's kind of a nice, kind of cathartic experience, right? Because I think we all kind of go through that. We kind of think we're one person, and then we eventually figure out through maturity that we're somebody else. So I think this I, I did write down on a few occasions with my notes: fish out of water. I think that's accurate. Yeah, in yeah, terms it, of, it is that, and that's where you get that that screwball kind of um, thing where they're inserted into a situation that is, well, you know, I compare this to a movie that I have an unadulterated adoration for, and I don't think it's a very good movie, but I love it. Uh, it just makes me feel good when I watch it. And that's uh, Michael J. Fox and doc Hollywood. Yeah. I don't, I, that is not a, I don't think it's a very, I don't think it's a greatly made film or anything. It has some, it's PG 13 as well. And it has some really, it has some full frontal nudity in it. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You see the little fox. fox. Yeah. yeah, but it's uh, it's there's something about that you know transition that a character makes from what's important to finding out what's truly important in life that makes you feel good, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and in that case, it's he wants to be a plastic surgeon. He wants to live in L.A. He wants to live the big life. He ends up stranded in a small country town, and he ends up realizing that people and love and quiet and all these things are what it's really about it's not about yeah. it's not about having the nicest car that puntash or anything like that it's about <laughs> <laughs> it's it's about you know what you it, life is what you make it and uh i think there's something very uh, for me personally there's something very kind of heartwarming about that kind of tale and that's what i kind of came away with with this thing believe it or not it's a wonderful life yeah even though like i said man the, I can't talk about the moment of violence at the end of this film, but it's <laughs> everybody that's around that had to have gone through PTSD therapy afterwards. <laughs> oh man, yeah, because <laughs> it's yeah. you know again it's in its own world, but I mean come on, it's pretty hardcore. 
All right, I'll kick it over to Will, I guess, since Todd picked this. Will wants to add some notes to it. Sure. Uh, Todd, uh, Todd, Sammy, had you ever heard of this one before seeing it? I, I, I remember it being advertised when I was a kid. Uh, I, I told Todd this, and I may have said this before you got back on the show. Uh, Morgan Stewart's Coming Home was the other John Cryer film, and it came out the same year, and that was the one I was more familiar with. And this oh, is okay. just one that, you know, you know how it is, right? I mean, this is just one that's always gotten by me. And uh, I, yeah. I never have yeah. ever watched it. And when Todd mentioned it, I didn't even know what it was. And then I looked it up no, and I was like, neither. oh, yeah, I meant to watch that, Jesus, you know, 30 years ago. So it was kind of nice to yeah. finally get it out of the way, kind of visit it. I'd never seen it. I'd never heard of it. Um, at least I don't think I have, unless it was sort of buried deep in the recesses of my mind. But I got to say, I, I love the German poster for this versus the North American one. Oh, yeah, I do too. <laughs> uh, uh, um, but uh, no, it's fun. The color palette and everything is nice. But um, yeah, I got to say too, before we get off, Nikki Hammerhead. Uh, he did a film called Burning Vengeance that looks so GGTMC, man. I know, I know. I was he thinking to myself, things. yeah, he did three things, and both films we could end up covering all of Nicky Hammerhead's filmography. Yeah, and we yeah, didn't, man. and we never set out to do that, but we could. No. We should, we should say too that Bob Giraldi's still working today. I mean, he's still making shorts oh, yeah. and stuff. He's still working. Yeah, he's not. He's he is. not a young man either. He's 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 up there. Yeah, no, he definitely is. So this this seems to inhabit. Some of the same realm as like um, it reminds me a little bit stylistically of like uh, Cool as Ice. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. A little bit, a little bit. It's it's a little more nuanced. Well, that's that's than, that's one of those stories too. Again, like Cool as Ice, we make fun of for a different reason, but yeah. you can't deny that the movie it's kind of a feel good movie, right? Yeah, and it look it looks good, and <laughs> it, it's made with very much with a it's but it's a different generation, right? That yeah. Bob Giraldi is a is a music video director. That film is very much presented and edited as a it's it's in music video technique, right? So right. even you know the montage you get and and some of this and it's yeah it's uh, it's good. I'll tell you, uh, Ned Eisenberg shows up in this early on as Rodriguez and. He is an actor that was always just he's uh, Eddie in The Burning. Yeah, and he's such a gross like I just I hate him in that, and so seeing him on this, I just had kind of a knee jerk reaction. So yeah. um, it's funny it opens up, and I guess I think they're in Boston, right? They're in uh, Boston. I believe it starts off in Boston. Yeah. yeah, but even whatever the Boston equivalent to Wall Street is, it's very much like the the Wall Street scum. I expected to see like them eating at Dorcia, handing out business cards. Yeah. Um, if, you know, very much like that, but it's uh, it's funny, and it, it feels weird. It's almost like two in that realm where something like Twenty One Jump Street is, right? Like it's the other side of that coin in a way. Mm -hmm. You know, he's on the lamb, he's going back to high school, and mm -hmm. it is this funny kind of high concept thing. And when you guys mentioned it, it that's definitely what I took away from it was everyone's game. Everyone feels pretty real. And there's even that that line that's very self-aware when John Cryer says, "Wow, look at all the girls here." He goes. They look like they're 35 years old and divorced, or they don't look like they're 35 years old and divorced. Yeah, he says something like that, and uh, or they do. I can't remember now. It was late, but but I just kind of smiled. At, you know, Geraldi's obviously and Rothberg and Manasi, the writers are obviously self-aware enough to know that that tended to be so flagrant in teen movies. It just, uh, yeah. Um, what else do we got here? Do, 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 do. Yeah, I said, yeah, Fish of the Water we talked about. Um, 
And I think with Giraldi's past work, you know, we do get some uh, some kind of situational shorthand, getting him injected back into the, you know, school and Cryer's baby face lends itself well. And yeah, like you guys had said, um, I liked Cryer quite a bit. I mean, I, you know, I didn't love him, but I quite liked him. I always found him very charming and I found him to always be a very witty, quick on his feet actor, right? Um, likeable. So yeah, this was fun for him to see, for me to see him. Um, and I like that. I think he pulls off that kind of assured uh, older guy in this without coming across as kind of obnoxious or creepy because well, he does have a youthful, likable feel, right? Yeah, but he, 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 yeah, but he does, like you said, he does really do well at uh, being both an adult and yeah. kind of falling back into his uh, his high school sort of. Uh, Personality. High school by way of adult personality. Yeah, and I think it's funny to see what was the film with I want to say with Kathleen Turner, the friend, Peggy Sue got married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What it is, you know, you get sometimes. If I knew now what I know then, and yeah, I mean yeah. it's not heavy handed in this, but we get a few examples of that. Some yeah. kind of funny stuff. Well, it's he, funny you mentioned that because I think Roger Ebert in his review of this kind of blasted a little bit because it's not. As well made, in his opinion, as Peggy Sue got married. But I, I swear on my kids' lives, I didn't read Ebert's review. Yeah, no, but I couldn't help but the, think but it, of those. It's two same films. year though. It's same year. Is it? And, yeah, and there was a lot of this oh. going on at that time. So, yeah, but yeah. it just it feels like that. Like, you know, that wish was if I could go back. Mm-hmm. You know, would I do things differently? Right. It's, but it's you know not that this really relies on that or means on that, but it it he's thrust into that through circumstances beyond his control, and he handles it well. Well, what's, um, what's funny is I did read Ebert's review, and what's funny is is that he found this movie kind of crass and found Peggy Sue kind of dreamlike, and I agree with some of that with Peggy Sue, but I find, in, in retrospect, now seeing this one, I find Peggy Sue a little bit more crass, and I find this one a little bit more kind of sentimental. It's, it's, it's very weird. So I wonder, you know, unfortunately, Roger's not with us anymore, but I wonder... It's one of those things where time has kind of played this game with these movies. So that's funny. I, I yeah, I, I came to Peggy Sue late. I only saw it, I think, in the time we were doing our show, like yeah, ten yeah. years ago or so, and uh, I liked it quite a bit. Um, I like. I didn't love it, but um, probably because it maybe that one. This one feels more crass or or skeevy because I think in that one. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know why. I, I'm kind of yeah. stumbling around here. But yeah, it's funny that, that that was sort of a connection made there. But I do think that this film couldn't get made today without a lot of um, hand wringing from an online community looking at this kind of uh, this this corrupt stock trader preying on you know innocent teenage girls and. Yeah. Well, they would. Yeah, they would have to. Uh, they they would, would have to change some things. They, they would have to change a lot of things. Yeah, because yeah. pe- people would find yeah. an argument in this movie. Oh, oh yeah, they yeah. sure would. And yeah, I, I won't. I won't. You know, my soapbox with that, of course. Yeah. But uh, we've kind of said how we all feel. Um, it's funny they kind of throw in like this weird nod to seventies paranoid political thrillers with a near political assassination. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, the parallax view or something, you know, just this, yeah, it's a weird moment. Someone up, yeah. It's a funny moment that bleeds over from the seventies and here we are at 87, right? It's uh, yeah, but no, it's, this was what I hadn't seen. And, and it just kind of a, a fun, I think um, left field programming for the show. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. we tend to want to 
Yeah, uh, yeah. No, program no. films that are pack a lot of meaning, but as opposed to just having a fun time sometimes, it's fun. Yeah. Well, I think, Todd, and I, we've talked about this because, you know, a lot of the last year, obviously, you've been very busy on the outside and you've gone through some things and stuff. Mm-hmm. But we've been doing a little bit more of these kind of comedy-type films, and it's kind of fun to go back and revisit these because, obviously, they have a lot of GGTMC elements in them. Um, oh yeah, and uh, they 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 but they play in a, in a kind of an interesting ballpark, and the, the way they kind of make you feel and stuff, they're kind of interesting. But mm-hmm. yeah, that political thriller stuff and some of the other stuff it reminded me of a film I saw, a little film I saw. I don't know if you guys have seen it or not. Uh, uh, Joker, I believe it's called. What's that about? <laughs> I just want to see if Todd has seen it or not yet. I'll have to look for it on uh, Prime. <laughs> yeah. Just look for it. You'll find. Do you have any reviews I can look up on it? Oh my God! Do I ever? <laughs> I can't think of a come with Scrapple. I don't think I can't think of a film that's generated more opinion in the last ten years. Right. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, all right, Todd. What do you think about on your revisit? Because you, I think, uh, were the one that had seen this before out of the three of us, right? Yes, I've seen it multiple times. Um, like I said, uh, I'm. This and, and plain clothes, I really just have, I gravitated to. I always who's, had a soft uh, spot for both of them. Who's in plain clothes? Arliss Howard. Oh, oh yes. yes. And, I've uh, never seen that. Seymour Cassell's in it as well. Oh, uh, George yeah, Went. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I'm- well, that one in that one, uh, Arliss Howard is a cop, and he has to go back to he has to pretend that he's a student. So it's a little bit Jump more. Street. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot more Twenty One Jump Street, and the thing there is that. There's still the 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 sort of uh, oh, that's made by Martha Coolidge. Yeah, wow. Uh, there's still the uh, the sexed up uh, teen girl sort of angle to it, but the thing is that Howard's just kind of, the Howard character is just kind of like has absolutely no fucking interest whatsoever. Um, Man, that's got quite the cast to it. Yeah, it does. It does, um, and it's pretty good. It's pretty good actually. Yeah. Uh, so uh, with this one. Giraldi, you know, his direction's solid. Uh, it's workmanlike. He's not afraid of uh, camera movement or the odd interesting composition. Um, interestingly, uh, you know, him being the uh, the beat it uh, and, and a music video director, he's not really that much of a stylist here. No. Um, no. But, he's, he, but he's good enough. Yeah. Uh, and, he, yep. and he certainly shows that he's got chops, you know, somewhere down there. Well, he didn't make, um, a, he didn't make a lot of feature films, right? I think he, uh, this is one of the few. Like, he's yes. made a lot of shorts and a lot of videos. And a lot of those show style, I agree. But I kind of wish he would have made more movies because, I mean, this is this is very well made. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's tight. It's not cheap and lazy and feeling like a cash-in of the youth of that era. And that's what I like about it. Because some of the films we've covered, the, the breakdancing films, they're fun. But they're just shameless cash-ins. Whereas this has heart. Yeah. yeah. He cares yeah, yeah. about his characters. Yeah. 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 Um, the uh, the assassin, uh, his widow's peak is sharp enough to cut through uh, through bones. Oh, yeah. um, well, they even say in the witnesses, one of them says he has Dracula's hair. He's Dracula got a Dracula hair. hairdo. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Lugosi would have been jealous of this thing. Yeah. Um, uh, what else here? One over there. One over that. Um, you know, naturally, you know, if a uh, if a nail like Maxwell stood up in actual high school, uh, he would probably be nailed down pretty fast rather than being glorified. Mm. Um, yeah. So just to uh, make that statement there, I love the uh, the student driver scenes. Uh, they're fantastic. I always crack up with those. The fucking uh, the uh, the instructor is just hilarious. Uh, he is uh, oh shit, I can't think of. I think he played. Um, oh, what the hell else did he play in? Was he in uh, Private Parts? Uh, he uh, may, I want to say. Remember, he may have been. That's. I can't. That's remember. also Damn something that's. 
that's gone away is the the driving instructor scene in films. Well, that's because driver's ed has gone out the the same way that um, physical. What to call it? Yeah. Uh, home ec. Yeah, home you know? ec. Yeah. And, and these things just don't fucking exist anymore. So. Yeah. Um, Oh, there's that. I love those scenes. I love them, love them, love them. When he says, hey, what's with, what's uh, what's that on your neck? He goes, whiplash. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's great. Uh, you get some classic bumbling uh, roller skating, and it's all set to Pretty Poison's Catch Me, I'm Falling. Yes. So you get a little, you get a little oh, top yeah. 40 in there. Yeah. Um, the student council was never made into a huge event like it is here in real life. Obviously, <laughs> no, uh, not where I come from. I, no, I, <laughs> no I, I, you know, I, I'm kind of just guessing that the filmmakers didn't want to hit that old prom finale cliche kind of deal. Yeah. Um, and also, no one at my high school would have given a shit about attending uh, something like this, aside from getting out of class. Yeah. Um, and you know, when the most obvious question is, once you get to the the actual finale, and, and Sammy kind of alluded to this a little bit. Uh, is why does everyone not run screaming from the gym? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And the most obvious answer is obviously, you know, it's because they have to have a climax to the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so here's the thing. Uh, yeah, the whole the whole film is you know truly flimsy as fuck. Uh, obviously, it you know it doesn't hold yeah. together if you actually sit down and think about it. But it's light and it's fun. Um, its flaws, I think, for me, they certainly stood out more. Uh, on this viewing, uh, you know, so there were some uh, the, the the temple walls were uh, showing some logic cracks here, um, and in fact, it it may be just too light uh, in certain ways for me uh, on this uh, what fifth or sixth go round. Um, but at the same time, I still I still I do still really 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 enjoy this thing. Uh, I'm really kind of surprised and, and, uh, happy that you guys enjoyed it as much as you did. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is just one of those things. It's got, uh, it's got heart. It's got, uh, it's got humor. Uh, it's, uh, it moves along at a nice little pace. It's a, you know, a nice little time killer. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else I can say about it that, uh, that you guys haven't already hit on. Uh, so, uh, kick it over to you guys for, uh, for make or breaks in that. All right, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it's it's as part of that era of the '80s teen films that uh, I think a lot of us, you know, uh, was a little younger than us. But I mean, I know that he was already watching some of these films. Either way, but uh, obviously, you know, we grew up with these. Todd, right around the sweet spot, '87. You know, we would have been 14, 15 yeah. years old. So these movies were kind of made for us, and in some ways, kind of made for Will too, because they were kids' films at the time, right? They didn't really making. Uh, Disney had kind of stopped making the films they were making, and there were some animated movies, but the animation was kind of dead. I think it came back that year, 87, 88, 89, Little Mermaid kind of came back. So there was that kind of in-between time, and uh, these films have always, these kinds of films have always kind of held a sweet spot for me. It's kind of like they're the, if there's anything that is true bubblegum for me when it comes to movies, it's probably teen comedies uh, of the 80s. Um, uh, be they politically incorrect or not, they remind me of kind of that innocence that I had once, right? Uh, this the, that that and slashers, but slashers obviously was a little bit more of a darker thing. But the, the, that the, this this kind of reminds me of that era, uh, which is why I think it made me feel so good watching it. Uh, my MVT for this movie, I'm gonna go with man. It, I, I want to go with Geraldi because I don't know if I'd give it to him again in any other thing. But I mean, I 
I think the thing he's given to uh, uh, culture more than anything is, uh, you know, the beat it, the say, say, say video, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. the, the things like that. I mean, those are the things that really, you had to talk about his films that were influential. I'd have to say it's his music video work more than his film work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got to give it to Cryer, which is really hard come for me because, again, he's kind of a been there, done that kind of actor for me. He doesn't really do a whole lot for me. He's serviceable. Um, uh, I guess the person I can compare him to, he's like Ted Danson to me. Like he's, he works, okay. but yeah. I don't really, you know, I don't pursue Ted Danson films. You know what I'm saying? He's like, yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I got you. No, no, I got you. you I got you. Totally. From, yeah. Totally. Not as likable. Ted Danson like, is good in that one. Uh, anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah. Never but mind. No, I, I've seen a lot of stuff Ted Danson's good in. Ted Danson's a better actor than people think he is. He's a good actor. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, you know, he's just not somebody I pursue, right? You know, it's just not, you know, like if I see Ted Danson in Burning Vengeance. Well, first of all, I would <laughs> I would see that movie. Yeah, but, it'd be uh, amazing. Some shirtless. Put dancing. that in the puntage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put him in the puntage. Exactly. But I guess probably the most relatable. I guess prior to me is kind of like gear for uh, Todd. You know. Oh yeah. Okay. Because you know, remember when Todd was talking about gear, he's like, yeah, he's he's serviceable, but he's never really been here or there for me. Sure. Sure. Oh, I forgot about that, man. I'm gonna have to drop my film uh, <laughs> point or two, man. Don't talk about my gear like what that. Have <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> Want to talk about Julie, baby, like that? <laughs> Julie, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, my make or break for this one. It's kind of tough because I think there's some pretty good scenes in here. Um. But I did, uh, I really, I did like that meet cute scene, even though it was awkward at first. I did like that scene quite a bit. Uh, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the kind of innocence of the, the roller skating scene. Cause I like it. I think a lot of, you know, that, that, that is the meet cute amplified. But at that point yeah, yeah. we, you know, it is kind of the falling in love scene, quote unquote, but I think mm-hmm. it plays really well. I will say though, the scene between that first scene between him and the janitor is really good too. It's very yeah. well. It's very well written. Yeah, it is. And too. very well done. Uh, but I'm going to go with the roller skating scene. My score for this is a straight seven out of ten. Man, I had a good time with this. I'm glad I've seen it now. I'll be honest with you. If we weren't doing the show and you wouldn't have picked it, still never would have watched it. I never would have pursued this. <laughs> just never would have. It, it's just something that never would have been on my radar. And uh, I'm glad I watched it now. I enjoyed it. I really did. Will. Very nice. Okay, so my make or break. I'm going to go with the scene, and it's a small scene, but I think. It speaks to kind of the some of the the joy sometimes and being in on the joke with the lead character where uh, where everyone else is completely unaware and that's the scene when he goes to Ryan's house uh, and he asks the the father says what do you want you know scotch and soda just a soda and he's helping him for do his tax stuff with the yeah. computer yeah. and <laughs> I like that yeah, it it's, good. It's it was funny good. it was good funny scene and like i said there's moments like that where a crier feels like a little bit older than these guys yeah you know i think and we mean you can relate to that too because uh you know we're getting close to being the oblivious dad yeah that's right <laughs> that's right absolutely man yeah um whereas you know 15 years ago we would have been yeah. more of the idiot yeah there's the smooth talking uh yeah. the nice polite boy right so yeah. Now we are we're much closer to Oblivious Dad. We are Oblivious Dad. It's on the doorstep. Yeah, it's right on the doorstep. Um, yeah, it absolutely is. Um, my MT's Cryer. I, I've always liked Cryer. Uh, I think this is a, a nice off-the-beaten-path vehicle for him. It allows him to do what he does and and be very sort of – he has a left-field charm that uh, 
yeah, he's good in it. He's good, and I think the film's good. And it's um, as for my score, uh, I'm going to go uh, six point five out of ten. Uh, I think it's it's good. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, I wouldn't have never seen. I would have maybe even heard of it. Not that I wouldn't have wanted to. I just never would have heard of it. I'm yeah, like, what's hiding yeah. out, man? Yeah, and man, this John is blowing Clark. my mind. I know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's thing, one of those man. things. That's the great thing about thing, the show. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, and film in general. This has really got me, this has really got me wanting to revisit Morgan Stewart's Coming Home, <laughs> so I might put that in my back pocket for uh, another Crier jam someday because I think that's that's got some serious GGTMC elements as well. Uh, he really loves the Dawn of the Dead movie and uh, Romero films and that movie. He wants to be a filmmaker. It's it's got a lot of that kind of stuff in it. So we'll 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 come back to that at some point, maybe even this cool. year. Mm. All right. Uh, so, uh, MVT for me is, yeah, it's Cryer. Uh, if it wasn't for his charms, I don't think the film would work half as well as it does. Um, make or break. I'm going to go with the, uh, the first class with Mrs. Billings. Uh, it's what the movie I think should have been more of. Um, it, you know, yeah. this, this whole thing about Andrew, uh, wanting to be invisible, but not being able to. Um, and I think that that could have worked out a lot, a lot, uh, it could have improved it a bit, uh, even though, yeah, yeah, like I said, the thing is, is truly enjoyable. It's nice and light and airy and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it scored for me a little bit higher uh, than Will. And Sammy, what did you give it? I gave it a seven. Uh, I'm right in line with you, buddy. Uh, yeah. Seven out of ten. Yeah, we're all in the same ballpark. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got that uh, that point five spread. Yeah, that's, um, that's right. <laughs> if you're betting so, on the GG, uh, GGTMC, you just bet on the point five spread. It's always going to yeah, exactly. we'll, We will always cover. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it certainly seems to be that way. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, I you know, I'm really, really glad you guys dug this thing. Uh, you know, and then for those who haven't seen it, then by all means, do check it out. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, so you know, for those who are so inclined, yeah. can uh, dig it up. Check yeah, it out. It's, it's not it, my score doesn't reflect it, but it really is one of my favorite things I've watched over the last couple of months. It just it ah, was cool. so it was so breezy and kind of nice. Yeah. Nice, it is nice. nice. I haven't watched something. It's nice to watch something from an era that I hold a lot of nostalgia and, and affection for yeah. that is completely new to me. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like yeah. it feels like this. It's like I have this comfortable sweater that I wear. I eat, let's say, weird signs. And this is like, wow, this is like that sweater I love wearing all the time. But it's new to me. Yeah. You know, it's. Yeah. 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 It's cool. Yeah. It's one of those things. All right. So that is the big show. Uh, we know what we're doing next week. We've kind of nope. spitballed some ideas around. We've kind of done all kinds of stuff. We can did do. We talked about. Yeah, what did we say we were doing? We can. Well, I no, well, we kind of we kind of talked some uh, some peplum. We kind of talked some modern mm. modern horror films, uh, some contemporary stuff. Were you guys on the dock? I think to pick is that I believe. Uh, I believe Sammy. Uh, Sammy yeah. I mean, I think I said something about an arrow. I mean, I can. We can do that or uh, whatever. Yeah, all right, we can do that. I'm, I'm good with that. If that's the case, then I'm going to be picking uh, Eric the Conqueror. Uh, okay, Mario Bava. Mario Bava, uh, Gordon Mitchell. Never seen it. Yeah, Gordon Mitchell. A little peplum action, a little gladiator action. Yeah. We we that's a genre that we don't really tackle much. No, we don't. It's uh, very GGTMC, and it's <laughs> yeah. uh, it's well, it's almost shirtless. it's almost yeah. too GGTMC, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it's uh. It should be it should be fun to kind of talk about uh, that kind of uh, because that's again that's just not a genre we talk about that often so I kind of wanted to I'd seen some of those titles kind of come across my radar lately and I thought well 
let's uh let's do that but yeah it's got uh, i'm looking at it now gordon uh cameron mitchell my bad not gordon mitchell uh, i think gordon mitchell's in it too though ain't he no it's just cameron mitchell <laughs> oh man anyway uh so it's a cameron mitchell jam so we should have some fun with that uh, very nice sweet gordon mitchell gordon mitchell's who i wanted to be in it <laughs> very nice very nice what are we doing with it uh, I don't know. That's one of you guys. Uh, if if you don't have one, Todd, I'll pick them. But if you have one, by all means, I got nothing. I off the top of my head. If you wanted, uh, if you want to pick, okay, by all means, go okay, ahead. sure. And then I'll anything I sent you as my cover for the next few weeks. But okay, so let's bring back one of our patron saints. Um, I've never seen this film. I've always wanted to see it because it features a patron saint of the GGTMC, and it features an actor I really adore. Um, who I don't think gets enough love outside of one very role he gained a lot of notoriety for. I'd like to talk about Someone Behind the Door, starring Charles Bronson, his wife Jill Ireland, and Anthony Perkins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've seen this before. I, it's been a while, but I've seen this uh, quite quite some time ago. Yeah, okay, no, cool. that'd be good. Yeah. Always fun to talk Bronson. <laughs> yeah. And talk about two actors. We're going to... That- <laughs> Talk about two actors who don't belong together, Charles Bronson. Well, and, that's uh, the thing. I, I thought that would be a fascinating kind of on-screen pairing. All right. So that mm-hmm. who's that directed by? Do you remember? I can't remember. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a French filmmaker. So yeah, because yeah, Bronson did some stuff over there, right? So yeah, he did. Uh, he sure did, man. He made uh, the one where he was an author. Wasn't was Saint Ives? No, maybe Saint Ives wasn't French. But he did a couple of things over there, right around the rain. He did with. He did uh, the one with Delon, uh, uh, Do You uh, Me, Goodbye Friend or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, Goodbye Friend, yeah. That's the one that uh, loafing them. And this is Nicholas Gessner. Yep. I don't know who that is. Um, looking through his filmography, uh, nothing's jumping out. Man, what a poster. I know, right? <laughs> what a poster that thing's got. Oh, Nicholas Gessner's still alive. <laughs> that person is only in the poster. Yeah. Still alive. Maybe some shirtless Bronson. Maybe yeah. the Macho's going to get he turned didn't, uh, up. He didn't direct a whole lot of stuff, but uh, yeah, he did. It says the little girl who lives down the lane. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which is one I have that I'd like to cover at some point. That's uh, that's a man. That's a great one. Yeah, that one's got some discomfort that's in it. A, geez. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, man. Yeah, so those are the ones he's probably most known for. Is this one and that one and maybe? Well, it looks like he made a movie called Macho for TV, which sounds like something. I'd, Watch, mm. but Tennessee. He made one called Auskumpft um Cockpit. <laughs> so he's. I would say that he's more German than French, and maybe worked in France. Probably. He did a couple of German films, then he went to France. Yeah, it's weird, but yeah, I guess we'll we'll be able to expand on his filmography. Yeah, yeah. I saw this a long time ago. Long time ago, man. It's been man. It's been ages ago. Oh, it looks like he did that Ben Gazzara magician movie, Quicker Than the Eye. I've always meant to see that. Really? Yeah, it's a Ben Gazzara magician. It's got a great. Po- it's got a great poster. If you look it up, it's got a great. I'll poster. tell you. I was just talking about Ben Gazzara last night. Be- oh, I would love to see that one if we can get our hands on it because I love. I only saw Saint Jack. I think last year, and I really fell in love with it. Yeah, yeah. Gazzara is great, man. Yeah, he is. Uh, okay, so that's what we're doing. Uh, we should be able to get both of those, right? Those. Are, well, I know they're. I, we should all have. Uh, we'll talk off the air. No problemo. Okay. 
right, good to go. Man, this quicker than the eye looks amazing, though. <laughs> no, it does. <laughs> Listen to that plot. I know. I've always wanted to see I'm, it, and it's it's, oh, it's it's. I'm putting that on my list, buddy. Like I, down I, the road. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know it was this guy that directed it, but I saw the poster in the history of us doing the show. I saw the poster, and I thought, I got to see this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's got a it's a fun cast, and it's yeah. It, I'm on the hunt. Oh man, Christoph Waltz is in that. <laughs> from 1987 or 1989 88 Christoph Waltz before he was Christoph Waltz wow yeah. I didn't even know that wow all nice. right Laszlo Kish dear buddy all right. Nice. all right nice all right so that is the big show uh we hope everybody has a good week as usual gentlemen I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I will say adios 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 Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.